Warning. Explicit content. Listen to discretion is advised. Greetings, everybody, from the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. This episode, I sit down with my friend BJJ Black Belt and writer from the Netherlands, Daniel Bertina. I was introduced to Daniel through our friends at Inverted Gear, and I knew that we had to get him on the podcast. So it took a little while, but, but here he is. I think you guys will really like this episode. We recorded this remotely. He's in the Netherlands. I'm in New Hampshire. We learn a little bit about geography, a little bit about food, talk a lot of cool jujitsu. Daniel's a good guy, so check it out. Um, thank you all for listening. As always, this episode is brought to you by Tortuga Soap Company. Everything you need to keep your hands sanitized, keep you clean. Make sure you check us out at tortugasoap.com. Also brought to you by Port City BJJ, home of the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. Um, we're not open right now, but when we are, you're all invited. We're going to have a big party. So come check us out. No matter where you're from, if you're traveling, come to Portsmouth. It's a beautiful place. We'd love to have you come visit. Also brought to you by BJJ Prehab. Program designed to keep you on the mats and injury-free, bjjprehab.com. Any big shout-out to uh, to our friends Inverted Gear. Um, if it wasn't for those guys, I probably wouldn't have met Daniel. So um, check out Inverted Gear. They make great stuff. They're good people. They, uh, they're good people to support. So invertedgear.com. You guys, I hope everybody out there is doing all right. It's kind of a weird time right now, right? Nobody knows what to do, but... Uh, I'm sending out good vibes to you all. Stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, hopefully this thing will be over soon and we'll be back on the mats training. Much love, y'all. Peace. Rolling. Awesome. Daniel, what's up, man? What's up? What's up? How good are you doing? You. Pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. We, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm recording this from Coronaville. Yeah, what's going on in, uh, in the Netherlands? Well, uh, there's a good chance I probably have it. Really? Yes. I was, I've been meaning, like, I, we had a podcast last night, and we did an experiment with this, and... Uh, with people all over the United States. And I, I was like, I really wanted to ask them, like, do you know anybody with it? But I didn't. Yeah. So, oh, by the way, hi. What's your name? This is Andrea. Okay. Hi, Andrea. Uh, this, is, this is her school lesson for the day. We're going to learn some geography. Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. Uh, my wife will probably join us in a little bit, too. Okay, great. Great. Well, nice, get nice, to, uh, nice to see you all. Yeah, you get um, the whole family. So, so the status is, uh, let's talk Corona first and then yeah. talk about jiu-jitsu and life and well-being and mental health and all that shit. That um, sounds good. Sorry, all that, all that. No, you're good, man. She, she, she mentally blocks it out. Okay, great. So this is the situation. Um, uh, we are, our country has taken a lot of good precautions, uh, but they have a sort of idea that we want to build group immunity as much as we can to protect the elderly. Uh, we're going to, basically, the, the government has said we're not going to do a full lockdown, but we are going to try and get the healthy people 
just exposed to this stuff within reasonable boundaries so we can build up group immunity and we can protect uh, the people that are going to suffer the most or that are most vulnerable with this stuff, right? So um, that was the protocol. So there's no hi, there's no, uh, there's no lockdown or anything. But, but the situation is that uh, my kids are being homeschooled right now. We are in uh, homeschool. Uh, we've been doing that for about a, a week. Uh, but my, my daughter went out and played with some other uh, families from the school because she was going nuts inside, so she wanted to play. And we figured it's going to be a calculated risk because there's two other families that we're going to be have, have interactions with, and we're going to see what happens. Everybody's healthy, and all our grandparents and our, or like my parents and my girlfriend's parents, they're all quarantined. So they're not – we don't see them anymore just through Skype. So we figured they're not at risk and we're going to let the kids play. But as it happens, there's one dad of one in that group that uh, that family has, be, has been di diagnosed with uh, Corona. So, uh, and he had some respiratory problems and he had to go to the hospital. So we know that they played with my friend's play kids and they played with our kids and they just had dinner <laughs> together. And we've been all kind of feeling under the weather for two weeks already, but it didn't really progress to anything horrible. I was had a little stuffy nose and maybe a little bit like, I don't know, some, some general aches and pains that you usually have at the end of the winter. But uh, we think we probably just already have it because there's a, like 80% of the symptoms are going to be very mild comparatively. So I don't know. I think the chances are we probably have it right now. Uh, my son has a big stuffy nose and he's uh, sneezing all over the place. So you don't know w w what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I think it, there's nothing to be done about it right now. I mean, now you can't really do anything. You can't really, lockdown doesn't matter anymore because we're already kind of exposed, I guess. So that's that's the deal. Great. So, now we're going to get it from you through the internet. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to sneeze right into you. But I have, a, I have something very smart. This is called uh, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it cures it. And it, cl it cleanses everything. No, but it's like, it's very serious. My, uh, my, my brother is an anesthesiologist at a very big hospital in Rotterdam. It, Rotterdam is one of the big cities uh, in, in the Netherlands, one of the four really big cities. And he had a really rough week. He had a lot of people die. So it's not uh, like older people and people with all kinds of health issues, but also younger people, you know, people in their 40s. So it's, it is a risk. And it, it's not something like I have a kind of like a hangman's humor, or how do you say, a gallows humor yeah. about it. So, but it is a real thing. It's something that uh, I think a lot of Dutch people, they don't really take it as seriously as they should, I think. And uh, my, my brother was pretty... Well, pretty bummed out about it. And, like, and he, he told my dad, he said, don't go outdoors anymore. My dad's in his 70s. Don't, he's healthy, but like, don't go out. Let the groceries, let the, you know, get the groceries delivered. And, and don't uh, see your grandkids anymore. And they obviously, they're heartbroken about this. But it's better, be, better overreact now than, than try and uh, fix a situation when it's already broken, you know. So it's a strange, kind of a strange situation, but, uh, you know. So it seems interesting. The Netherlands seems to be taking the opposite approach of a lot of other places. Yes. but like they the are, herd immunity kind of thing. Yes, but they do it. They, they, 
I'm a cynical guy, and I've never really trusted government that much. I'm an old punk rock hardcore kid. I'm like, you know, I don't really, I don't really, I don't do well with authority. But I do have to say that right now, how it's being handled by the government is very sensible, science based. They do everything according to like the state of the art science and like, but this herd immunity thing, that's their, that's what they, they're betting on. Mm-hmm. And they use, I don't know, all the, they, they get the best experts on board. So you don't, you don't have some clown running the country that says outrageous stuff <laughs> that you think, I'm never going to trust this guy. So the people that are in charge are just, they're like fiscally conservative folks. And I, 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 I've never said this before, but I actually trust them. Yeah. <laughs> that's great i mean it's basically like a like a va- they're like treating it like a vaccine ex- except it's not the vaccine it's the actual thing yes yes however it's going to be it's going to be uh, uh people are going to have to uh get in line with this quick and do do the social distancing distancing thing and some people have a hard time with that so i see pictures i don't really live in amsterdam anymore i used to live there um, I go there for training, but I live kind of in the center of the country at about an hour south of Amsterdam. But I saw some pictures from Amsterdam with people just going to big uh, the, the, the farmers markets and going to the uh, just out, out and about enjoying their day. And like, this is going to end badly yeah. because just if so many people do it, then a bunch of people are going to catch it and they're going to give it to their grandparents. Or So this is going to, it's not going to end well in the short term and in the long term probably will or it i think we have the smartest people on board to try and try and get a handle on the situation but people have to fall in line or they have to you know it's going to suck for everybody you know but uh it's going to be challenging and strange are people still training jujitsu in Amsterdam? absolutely not no 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 i had my last training session last week um about not well, we've been this whole thing has been going on for about a week in our country, and I think the Wednesday before was my last training, and I, I posted a picture on Instagram and I said, "Aha, we're, the, we're the Corona Cowboys. We're just going to train in the middle of the pandemic, Hoo-ah! you know, and, and try to be real cool about it." But then the day after, the government issued this warnings like all sporting venues should be closed or maybe two days after. And then I was supposed to go to university on, on set on a Friday. And I figured, I'm not going. I don't feel well. And they, they issued, issued out this warning that said, you can't go to any place that has more than 100 people. But I think in the university building, there's gonna, a lot of people there. I'm not going. Yeah. And then uh, they decide to cancel classes. And then the next Sunday, they said, okay, schools are going to be closed as well. So it's been a very fast progression. Today is Sunday. Sunday last week is when they officially said, you've got to homeschool your kids. Schools are going to be closed. So the things have been uh, developing really fast. So it's very surreal. It's like, what kind of simulation is this? This is the worst. This is the worst episode of Black Mirror ever. It sucks. It's not even funny. You know? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's very strange. But I trained like last uh, Wednesday. I had over like, uh, so about uh, over a week ago, I had my last training session. I had a feeling. It might be the last one for a long time. So, I don't know. How about you guys? It feels like you, we're on the same, we're like in the same uh, time frame as where you are. Like, I trained, the last time I trained was last Sunday. Was last Sunday. And I, so I haven't trained, I didn't train all last week. Um, Andrea and I rolled a few minutes ago, but uh, 
a few hours ago. But like it, when did your school close? Monday. Last Monday. Mm-hmm. So she's been out of school for one week. For a week. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a sensible thing to do. Is that state mandatory? Is that uh, yeah. state government guidelines? Is that different different in every state, or is the, does the the, the the central government say you gotta follow? Every language? state is different. Okay, okay. every state is different. Um, for a little while, it was every city was different, but um, last week the state of New Hampshire, um, the governor shut it all down. Mm. You know? Um, and I think until tentatively until April 7th or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean like, but there's absolutely that, that, that exact date is being floated around here too. But I think it's just, I, it, it, I think it's just, uh, you know, the stick in the, it's like the carrot that they hang in front of the, yeah. the although at least well, if you can make it up to then we'll be fine. Nobody can say how this can uh, how how this can how this progresses. Nobody can. So it's going to be it's going to be a very uh, very strange and bizarre uh, couple of months. I think. I listened to uh, Sam Harris's podcast, uh, uh, Making Sense. That was good, man. And he was warning about this stuff. And he he had this he had a guy on uh, Nicholas Christakis. I recommend it's a free episode. People should check it out. Uh, And he was already warning about like I'm taking my kids out of school. I'm limiting. I'm doing social distancing. And this was before. It was a couple of days before this was actually decreed or like people uh, put this recommendation out there. So uh, yeah, uh, I think it's it's better to overreact in the beginning because you can't backtrack when when the monkey's out of the cage, right? So that's the odd thing. So everybody's going nuts right now. Like all my jujitsu friends, I, I'm on a few like chats uh, with my jujitsu people. Everybody's going nuts because, like we talked about George in our interview with in for inverted gear, it's a it's a vehicle for mental health jujitsu. And now people can't do the one thing that <laughs> keeps them on track. But at least you have a jujitsu family, so you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. I'll tell you what, man. Like. Um, I, I'm, on, I'm, me, you and I were pretty similar. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, man, this is not, you know, a big deal. Like it's not going to be, I wasn't phased at all by it. Right. And then I listened to like, and things got bigger and bigger. And I talked to my friend, Brad Wolfson. And, and then I listened to Rogan had the guy on and I was starting to be like, Oh man, I don't know. Like maybe this is, and then I listened to that Sam Harris episode and I was like, all right, we got to like, we got to do something, you know, that one was like the final straw that got me going. And I was like, so I trained that week. I trained, you know, I trained Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then my partner and I decided we were going to close the gym, but we were like, you know, it's going to be stupid. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, We'll be training soon, like whatever. And then, uh, um, I don't know anybody with it, I guess, well, except for you. Um, but uh, so a few, like for not rolling for a few days, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, this is pretty good. Like, I feel pretty good. Like, I'm not beat up. But then like Friday and yesterday, I was like, I'm like irritable and miserable and like super like discontent. Right. And uh, And I happened to like, and so I hadn't, and I was like depressed and I didn't want to, I was like, man, we're, you know, we're not going to be training. We're not going to be, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I saw you on that, on the, the 
basically that interview with Chris Ulbrich, I think is his name. And I was like, wait, I can do this. I can get these people together. Yes. And, uh, and so we did it last night. And, uh, and Riddler, who you met, made me do it. He's like, you got to get nine people together. And I was like, dude, nine people is, is going to be crazy and it's going to be stupid. No, because everybody wants to do this because everybody's in the same boat. I didn't know, man. I think, I, think, I think one of these things like, I don't know, it might sound a little bit too hippie-ish or something, but I think there's definitely lessons to be learned here from like, what do you really need? Yeah. What do you really need, right? Well, you definitely need community. So now like I'm, I'm chatting and FaceTiming with friends all the time. I sometimes go a couple of weeks. Well, I, sometimes I avoid my parents. Uh, for obvious reasons, because they're just strange people, and I'm strange. So we like we, but now we FaceTime, you know, because we we the, the limitation makes it so that you actually value it more. And I think there's something like I hope this uh, eventually will we, after this whole thing this this will fizzle out for sure. You know, this is not the Black Plague. Uh, mm. It's not as it's not the bubonic plague. You know, but I think there's lessons to be learned here about like what is really important. Do you actually need to go to the office to do your work? You know, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe you can can say, well, maybe it's better for my health if I if I go to the office twice a week and then do the rest from home in my own time and make sure that every all oh, the deadlines are met. I do all my work. Why does somebody? So this, I think there's a lot more. There's a lot to be gained here. Uh, but I think we are going to go through it. Uh, like a pit before we can go up mm-hmm. so I don't know it's it's gonna be but like this initiative that you have with like getting these people on board and talking people want to talk people want that sense of community because that is the one thing also that makes jiu-jitsu so different than other martial arts of course if you play badminton I'm sure you have a, a nice group of people that you play or play tennis you have a nice people but you don't actually try and kill each other you don't actually try to do it mm-hmm. and jiu-jitsu because you are constantly trying to murder each other, there's the sense of trust that is something that you don't really gain in other circumstances unless you go through some horrible traumatic episode with people. But jujitsu is already trauma. It's like this guy, he put his knee on my neck and then he choked in my neck and he breaking my arm. It's too big. You know, so like that's something that that level of trust is that's something you don't get from other things. And I think uh, now people are starting to value, like, what do you really think about, what, what's really cool about jiu-jitsu is that community sense. And now it's, it's awesome that, you, that you, you're doing this podcast as a way to, to stay in touch, to, to stay rooted in that sort of sense of community, I think. Man, yeah, so it got me, it got me out of my funk, right, instantly. And I was like, oh, I'm with my people. And then, like, I told you, I was like, man, I really needed that. And everybody that was on it was like, dude, I really needed to do that, too. Like, again. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I did it selfishly, for sure. But now I'm like, all right, we got to keep doing it. Um, Because also, like, I'm worried about people that, um, like, Inverted Gear, right? Our boys that put us together, Inverted Gear, they can't ship anything right now, you know? Right. Um, Jiu-Jitsu gym owners, that that's their sole um means of of living those people if this goes on a long time are gonna you know it's gonna be a struggle for sure you see this all these different memes coming about like some people say like don't obviously don't cancel the membership 
if you want to have a gym to come back to, which totally makes sense. Then I see some contrarian friends of mine that say, I don't own anybody shit. I can do whatever I want, which is, it's, it's, it's an opinion, right? It's right. something that some people, a, a, a percentage of your student base is going to think that. They're going to think on the short term, like, uh, some people say, okay, well, uh, we pay, you pay 50% now, and when we clear up, you, uh, we're, st- you know, or just a bare minimum so we can keep afloat. I had a friend of mine, Jochem, who has a really good school, Honey Badgers Jiu-Jitsu in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, and he, what he did, he, he proactively canceled the membership of everybody in his gym. He wow. canceled their membership. And then he said, I don't want this burden. I'll figure it out, but I'll cancel. I'm canceling all your memberships, and then it was up to them to to kind of reinstate their membership. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't done in a passive aggressive way, like because you can get social pressure, but like, and then I kind of expect you to resign or whatever. But he just did it. He didn't tell anybody. He didn't ad- advocate it. He just canceled memberships. And then what did everybody do? They say, "Fuck you! We're paying you." Because you're a good guy and you need to stay afloat and or whatever. Or we, we figure something out that you can at least get your basics covered until we get, because we, we want to train someplace. And that is also an approach that you can take. So it's, it's going to be very strange. You see a lot of people putting on online content, which is great. Yeah. I know my friend Aaron Ross, uh, he's a black belt. He's, in, he's now based in, uh, in, uh, in Florida, but he's from Japan. Uh, Yukinakai black belt. And he said, uh, he said, like, he's very skeptical about online training curriculum because I think he thinks it's going to, uh, you're going to get it like some sort of information overload. People aren't really going to respond to it as much. It's going to be very, very, very challenging for people who run, who are self-employed in this, in this, in this field. It's going to be very difficult. You had the smart play of being, you diversified your bones. <laughs> you have... You have, you have several outlets. You have the soap. People are going to need soap. People are going to need Tortuga soap, right, Amanda? Dude, it's been going like crazy. It really has. I've been working midnight days. Definitely it was five days in a row when I was able to stop at 10 o'clock for two nights, but I already have a pile waiting for me again. So. Right, right. So that's, like, that's smart. And you're, in, you're, in, you're, I mean, you're an accountant, George. Right. Right. Well, among, amongst other things, uh, amongst being a savage, you're also an accountant, <laughs> which is just hilarious. It's just, it's just, it's just funny. It's like a sketch. Like I'm an accountant. I can do your taxes, and I can, I can also choke your necky. <laughs> and then we'll talk about it after you know yes. on the podcast, and then I'll give you some soap to clean yourself up with after <laughs> you're done. Like that's like that's a man of all trades. It's hilarious, but but that's a smart play. So I think also one of the other le- lessons that maybe we can learn from this is that don't put your eggs in one basket. You know, uh, I, for instance, I like I'm a, I'm a, I was I'm a, I was been working as a self-employed journalist for a long time, but in the in the arts and culture section uh, uh, area of of life, so theater and performing arts and stuff, and I was kind of getting bummed out with that. And I, I, thought, I felt like, okay, I was writing for newspapers and it was all like going downhill right? in the sense that they weren't paying as much. They started asking for less and less content and it became really hard to make a living out of that. So I started doing translation work and I did that commercial translation work for a while and, I, and I, now I'm working and I do a lot of uh, uh, 
translation work for companies that put content to Netflix and Nickelodeon and different kids programs. And I do a lot of translation work for that, which is cool. And, but then I figured, okay, I'm not, I don't really do, want to do that all the time. So I think I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school to become a primary school teacher because my girl, my daughter, Etta, she's uh, seven years old. She went to primary school and I figured this is a cool environment to work. I can put myself to good use. There aren't any men working in, in education. Uh, there are like five of them and I'm one of them. So uh, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in primary education. It'd be cool. Play with the, teach the kids something a couple of days a week and do my, my other stuff and my jujitsu. And then, so that's, that's been my, my, I try to diversify. I try to do, put myself to good use in many areas. But now, so what happened? So what do I love? Jiu-jitsu. Well, jiu-jitsu is canceled. School is canceled. Okay, I'm homeschooling my kids, but I'm not, I'm not working on that right now. Uh, so like, it's like on all fronts now, this, this, this weird situation is kind of like, stopping everything that I'm trying to develop in. So that's, it's a very strange, strange, uh, strange time in that mm-hmm. sense. But I think it's important that you try to get yourself into many, a lot of fingers and a lot of pies so that one, one pie gets eaten. You still have something else where you can develop yourself and you can put yourself to good use. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Plus it's good to, uh, I don't know, man, if I just do one thing, like I think I, I got to do like a lot of things. Like I started, I think we probably talked about it. Like I started playing guitar because a guy that trains with us, a white belt knew he, he's really amazing. And so it's been nice. Like I can play guitar like during the quarantine for hours and hours. Right, 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 right. Um, let me ask you a question because this is really bothering me and it's really important. You live in the Netherlands, but what is Holland? Oh, okay. Okay. So this is complicated. <laughs> Good. Are you ready? This is, this is a strange one. This is a strange one. So, okay. Okay. Uh, where do I begin? God, this is difficult. Okay. The short answer to the, the tough sh- questions, Daniel. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. So uh, 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 at one point, the, the Netherlands and Belgium was one thing. It was it, because we kind of speak the same language. Uh, eventually they kind of broke away, broke off and did their own thing. And we had the Republic of the seven United Netherlands. It were seven, seven groups, uh, seven, uh, uh, well, uh, provinces, uh, that kind of joined forces and said, we are going to be a uh, political union. So that's the Republic of the seven United Netherlands, because we were we were kind of in a, in a delta, and we were kind of below sea level. That was the whole thing. We had dikes. There were natural dikes because this, the, 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 the sea would, would bring in uh, sand and would create dikes, and the entire country is sort of below sea level in some strange way. So we had that. So every province has a name. Now, the, ones, the provinces that were closest to the sea, they were seafaring. They were North, North and South Holland. Then we have Utrecht, which is another province where I live right now. You have uh, Brabant. You have uh, all 12 different provinces. Now you have, before there were only seven, but before there were 12. But the, mo- the richest ones and the ones that had a, um, a fleet of, pe- of, of, of ships that went out and, and roamed the seas and, and, and did all the exploring and did all the colonization 
were North and South Holland. So from the outside world, they were the richest, by the way, they had the most money. And they were known, if anybody met, met the Dutch, they were from those provinces. So Holland became synonymous with the Netherlands. But if you say to somebody who's from Limburg, which is a province very close to Belgium, in the, deep in the south, that they're a Hollander, they will try to fight you. Because <laughs> that's not, that's like, if you call, uh, uh, if you, it would, the equivalent would be if you're uh, from Texas and somebody calls you a Yankee. Yeah. Probably, or like, they're kind of like, no, 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 that's the northerners, we're the south. We're the South. So that, that, that dichotomy is still there. So Holland is, is generally how we are internationally known, but the country is called the Netherlands. And that's the, 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 the short end of the stick. But there's like a very awesome YouTube video that you can find out. Uh, I'll try and send you the link because it's hilarious. And it's, it, it tries to explain the bizarre reality. Also, because we still have, uh, there, there are two... Uh, countries on the other side in the Caribbean that is still officially Dutch territory. So we have this kind of like uh, with the Netherlands Antilles uh, that's still part of the kingdom. Oh, we are, we're also a kingdom. We have a king, So, the, but the kingdom is bigger than the actual... It's too complicated. I'll send you the video. But uh, uh, Holland is... Uh, somebody from Holland is from the Netherlands, but somebody from the Netherlands is not from Holland, per se. Does that make sense? Yeah. I got gotcha. you. They're from one of the providences. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of bizarre. <laughs> Very cool. What kind of healthcare is in Amsterdam? Okay. Well, uh, or like in, in the Netherlands. I mean Netherlands. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, right. Uh, well, it's good. It's, uh, that's one, one thing we kind of, from Europe, we kind of shake our heads at, uh, at America. Because a lot of stuff is just, uh, you pay every month, you pay something that is mandated by the state. And that's for the basic coverage. And that basic coverage will cover everything that in the States will probably bankrupt you, I guess. So, for instance, I saw this thing on, on, uh, uh, for instance, if you need a C-section, if you're in uh, labor or if you need childcare or whatever, in America, you just get a bill for Twenty thousand dollars or something, 30. or something. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean that's absurd. In in Holland, it's just covered with your coverage. You pay every month. You pay a hundred something uh, euros, which is almost the same as the dollar. They're kind of similar, and then that's just covered. So uh, the state has said, "Look, we want people to not die, and we want people to be healthy. So we're going to have we put a lot of money into in healthcare." And uh, there is a push towards privatization with the argument that the healthcare will improve. But everybody says, no, no, this is already pretty good as we have it. We don't want it to be a privilege that you can get certain procedures done uh, or not, depending on how much money you make. So that's, uh, that's just the mentality shift. And I think in the States, it's very different. Very okay. Very different. I mean, right now, and it, it hasn't always been this bad. It used to be. 20 years ago, it was very good compared mm -hmm. to now. But I could literally, you know, you wouldn't believe how much money I pay a week for insurance, for health insurance, and then, and how much nothing is really covered. Mm -hmm. Like, it's insane. Because mm -hmm. you, you could literally have insurance that you're paying a couple hundred dollars a week mm -hmm. for, 
and go and have a problem, like you got to get your appendix out or whatever it is, something normal. And and it's still going to cost you ten thousand dollars, you know, which is a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The big, the big thing that you know people in America say when they're when they're against changing it is that oh, but then you got to wait a long time to get this procedure done. If you need something done there, do you have to wait a long time? Say you needed a knee surgery or something. Uh no. Uh, well, for for instance, no, no. I mean, like, they have to schedule it in. And if it's not, if, if it's not, if you're not bleeding, <laughs> if it's not everything, they're going to, for instance, my mom had a hip replacement surgery. So what happened is that uh, she got the, the first hip, they, they have a couple of intakes. She had, she's in a lot of pain because it's just a worn joint. But they say, okay, we can, we can take care of that in three months. And you're going to, and, and, you know, uh, they're not going to give you painkillers. Just say, just get some paracetamol or some ibuprofen. Do your uh, physical therapy. So there is, uh, but we will take care of it in three months. You get the date set, you get it fixed, and then you get physical therapy. And but she doesn't have to pay anything. She pays her normal premium, which is a uh, hundred, maybe like a hundred fifty euros, hundred fifty dollars a month. She gets her hip replacement. She doesn't get a check for twenty thousand euros. Wow. for a hip replacement and then she got the other hip fixed and the same thing and in that sense uh, they already had the first hip fixed so they said well we might call you and then you'd have to go into surgery a week later but we can't really put, put the actual date on there but it'll be in this time frame and usually they will follow through on that so it's remarkably efficient and I like to bitch and moan as much as anybody about my country about stuff, but that is something that we've got locked down, or at least in Euro the European, the Northern European countries especially have this stuff locked down. But so they ha they get the money someplace else, so they have pretty high taxes, I guess, or something. They find another way to finance this, but it's for the general good. Look, if you paralyze a complete family because they they can't, they're not a fa they're not able to either afford surgery or they are bankrupted because of surgery. That's a bad spot to be in. You don't want that. So, and even though we have what we would consider to be a fiscally conservative, kind of a right-wing government, but that's nowhere near as bad as it can get in the United States from what I've seen. It's uh, the way they're handling the crisis right now. I gotta say, it's, I respect that a lot because it's just, the way they're doing it is so smart and so much science-based. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here during this whole thing because uh, there, there are a lot of countries that kind of fuck it up, but I think we're, doing, we're on the right path with this. So, so that's, that's the state of that. Uh, I hope that when you say there's going to be positive effects of the coronavirus, that one of them is that countries take a look at the way their health system is designed and maybe reevaluate, you know, that – Maybe the number one, like in America, the, the number one goal of companies is to make as much money as they possibly can. And there's health care companies that are designed to do that. And I don't know that, you know, money should be a big factor in people's health. Right, 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 right. But that's one of the things that like it's, it's legal in the United States to have advertisements for medical, uh, for uh, uh, medicine, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
it's bizarre. It's less now, less now. They uh, put a whole bunch of rules on it uh, a couple of years ago, so it's not quite as bad as it was. Uh, but I do think that America is one of the only countries, United States of America is one of the only countries where you're allowed to directly advertise to consumers like, hey, you should, yeah. you need Viagra or you need uh, this pain medication or you need this thing for your liver that's going to cause you to have, you know, crazy headaches, but it'll fix the your problem is The problem is people are, are just, me included, I don't know shit about that stuff. Yeah. So I am very, very would be very susceptible to, st to that stuff. So it's good that it's not there because people are going to say, oh, I'll, I'll, probably, I'll probably need that stuff. But it's ridiculous because you're not an MD. You're not a you're not a microbiologist, you know, or like I mean, like you're not you're not qualified to have anything uh, to have an opinion on this. There's a bunch of stuff I have zero opinion on because I'm just not qualified to have any to have one to have one, you know. But um, yeah, it's a it's a strange it's a strange time. But but like George, what are you doing? What are you doing to, to stay? Because you do jujitsu with the fam, but what do you do to stay fit right now? Um, I will. I went running the other night. Um, so Sunday night at like 10 o'clock at night, it was raining and cold. And I was like, man, fuck it. I'm going running. So I ran, um, which was good. I like running. Um, I've been trying to do some push-ups and some running. And then Andrea and I went out in the backyard and did some sprints today, <laughs> but we have mats in the house too. You know, um, we got mats. I'm worried more. Like I'm really like. The physical part, I'm okay with. The mental thing is what concerns me, honestly. Like, I get depressed. Um, so, I'm like, I'm, I really was thinking this morning, like, man, if you get like this just because there's no training, like, you need to, like, or I, and when I say you, I mean me, um, I need to, like, evaluate, um, you know, I'm like, I can't, like, I'm, I'm that fragile that I can't deal with a couple days of, like, not seeing jujitsu people. So, you know, I'm going to try to, like, I, I go back and forth between meditation and I'm really, I really try to make it something I do. But for some reason, it's, it's harder to make a part of my life is, you know, jujitsu is easy to make a part of my life, but uh, other things are not. So, um, I still am going to work like my job. I still, most people are not, but I still, I mean, maybe it's half and half. I don't know, but I'm still going to work um, Monday through Friday for how long. I don't know, but uh, um, so they I'm close down the building yet or anything. What's that? They haven't closed down the building yet or uh, no, no. And, and I work in a small, there's, there's like three other people there. And, and actually I have my own sort of like, so it's not, you know, if anybody should be worried, it's the other people getting something from me, probably. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So I've been, what have I been doing? I've been playing a lot of guitar. I, my, my, my fret hand is very strong right now. Nice, nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. No, like uh, Sam Harris did this other podcast about the value of mindfulness meditation in times of stress, which I think is very valuable. I think he also put it... Uh, I think it's also free content. I'm one of those people that like, uh, I subscribe to his uh, stuff, uh, to his, uh, because he had to, he has a paywall, but he says, if you can't afford it, you can just use it anyway. So I, I'm one of those people that kind of subscribe to that. They're kind of embarrassed, but it's like, I really can't afford a subscription, but I got one. 
And uh, he put one, one on there on the value of, of actually in times of stress when you actually have a lot more time on your hands than you normally would have because of this strange situation that you do need some time with your own mind and, and some tools of like how you can uh, really, the whole thing about it is acknowledging your own anxiety. It's not necessarily going along with it, but saying like, okay, I'm anxious right now and, and trying to take a back step and trying to reevaluate what's going on with your mind. So I think it's, uh, I'm also speaking to myself, by the way, because I used to have a very strong meditation practice. I used to meditate twice a day. Uh, and I went to Zen retreats and I was very, very uh, adamant. Uh, I'm still, I would consider myself to be a Buddhist. Uh, um, but it's been very hard with kids to try and get a practice going. But I think taking time, for self-care, and like I am going to be alone on my cushion for a little bit, and then I'm going to be a good dad again, or at least I'm going to try to be a good dad. I think that's very important, especially now when we are Oh, this is so bizarre. This, this is like nobody's, nobody's ever been, nobody's ever had this. This is very strange. This is just a very surreal uh, simulation we live in right now. And that's, uh, that's another reason why I really wanted to like make get sure make sure we record some podcasts right now because I feel like someday we're gonna look back on this and be like, man, you remember that? Like, or other, or even Andrea and my daughter maybe will look back and be like, I lived through that time. Yep. But you're 100% right. Like, I um, I mean, I'm not usually like this, but I have, like, anxiety the last few days, and I wake up, and I'm just like, Ugh. And so I can't – it's harder to be a, a, a nice human when you're, like, super tense. Yeah. So I'm trying to, like, make sure, just like I tell new people who are doing jiu-jitsu, like, hey, you got to breathe, man. You can't do jiu-jitsu if you're not breathing. You right. can't live life if you're not breathing, right, you know? Right, right. Yeah, no, it's like, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's uh, self-care might sound egotistical in the short run of things. I'm taking time. I'm going to go for a walk now alone, you know, but I think self-care makes you a better person to be around with. If you're on the airplane, you give yourself the oxygen first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The mask goes on first and then you can help other people. <laughs> I, think, I think now, especially now, because it's just so strange, I think we, we do need routines. So you might also like, uh, for instance, I did, I tried to do this thing with my, uh, with my, uh, with my girlfriend, uh, because we, we managed, we were just very, before this, all this shit happened. We were just very, uh, always busy with kids. We have two kids and they're always busy, busy, busy. And I was busy and she was busy. And we always just, you, you always become, almost become just roommates, right? You just like, okay, you, you, you pack the lunch. Okay. We did blah, 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 blah. We're going to go swimming lessons there, blah, blah, blah. And then you don't really have like, Oh, by the way, we're actually together or something. Right. Or like we, we actually talk about what's going on. So we actually made an effort of like, okay, let's not watch Netflix and fall asleep on the, on the couch. And, uh, let's just put the laptop away. What's going on with you right now? And it sounds a little contrived, but actually, that actually works. If you actually say Monday is my is our talking day, <laughs> or we're gonna not watch any put not or like do something. We like it sounds kind of drastic. It's like Monday is a day where we don't watch anything. We will talk about whatever. And actually, that constraint and that kind of like strange uh, limitation you put, or like you put it. And it sounds kind of like, ah, oh, that sounds a little excessive where you say, okay, we're not going to, 
but that actually helps. So when self care, you say like, okay, from eight o'clock to uh, eight o'clock to uh, eight thirty, I will be meditating or I will be walking and don't bother me because I need some time with my own mind so I can be there uh, with you for a hundred percent. I'm also saying this to myself. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like this self scheduling, especially in times of stress like this, super important. Super important. It's a stressful time too because nobody knows what's going to go on. And I like to know, I like to have an idea of like, you know, and I like adventure and I do like crazy stuff, but I feel like nobody knows what's going to happen right now. And it is a little bit stressful. Yeah. Um, so how are you coping, Andrea, with the, of, uh, of, uh, Amanda, sorry. Oh, that's with, okay. Uh, with this guy. Crazy enough, um, I've been so busy. I haven't had a chance like I have moments of worry and I especially worry about my mom because she has a lung issue. And so she just um, retired and she went on a trip before this whole thing happened. And uh, she just got back yesterday and she already has a cold. So I, you know, told her no shopping, you're in quarantine, you know, the daughter telling the mom what to do. Um, but she's, she's doing that. And so far, it's just a cold. But um, I do agree with two things that the date that they put aside, like, what was it, April 15th or something, it definitely is the carrot. Because um, here, in the States, not everyone is doing the social distancing. And it's like, uh, you know, one person who has it gives it to 10, and then those 10 give it to 100, and then it's 1,000, and it just keeps branching off. So the more that we can, you know, do, you know, keep to ourselves, basically, that it's going to cut down on the spreading, which, um, so if a big bunch of like, we'll just say the thousand people all get sick at one time, it's going to completely overwhelm our hospitals because they still don't have, they have more of the things that they need to take care of sick people, but they're not there yet. They, they still need like a couple more weeks to get the gloves, to get the masks, to get the, um, the like breathing equipment they need. So, um, and right now a lot of people are doing it here but not everyone no there's the the footage of the the idiots going on spring break break in in florida it's just it's like oh my goodness it's just like uh you did lemmings lemmings dropping off the cliff man it's seriously seriously. yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's terrible and then um there was one other thing that we were talking about i can't remember what it is but it might come to me but um for me like I've just been so busy and working. Um, like I've had moments of stress where I think of my the women's team um, that we have. I started it a year and a half ago. It's only been a week since um, the women's classes have stopped, and I already have had a huge drop in like uh, my communication back and forth with them. So for one thing, because I've been so busy with my business, I don't really have time to reach out to them. Um, and I'm not joking. I, I've been working like frantic trying to get the orders done. And so um, just because I haven't been reaching out to them so much where before I always talk to them minimum three days or more a week. Right. Um, so like I've already noticed a drop. So then, so now I, 
and preparing myself to starting the team all over again. Like I still have a couple of solid like members. They're they're in it. They're in. But right. then the other people who are all kind of more um, not quite so serious about it, they've already dropped off. So right. now, like, I'm preparing myself for that. And the difference between George and I is um, I am mentally prepared already, but I'm worried about my physical part because I haven't been able to do one workout. So this week, I'm c- considering it like my break week. So this is my break, but I'm planning um, next week, the days that I was training, I plan on sticking to the days that I was training, which um, I was doing doubles on some days. Maybe I might cut it down a little bit just because I still have like a huge boost in business. Um, But I'd still like to be waking up at six in the morning. Um, I was doing that um, three days a week. Right. And then I have my nighttime classes. I was doing those four nights a week and then a Sunday training. So it's a lot of training, but I'm more worried about me not being like, not that I'm not going to be strong enough, but I'll be kind of starting from scratch, you know, if I sure. don't keep up some it's, physical. It's, it's very hard to build up a community and keep it going, but Mm-hmm. To be honest, it, it is a difficult jujitsu. There is a big turnover, though. A lot of people get into the sport, or they get to a certain level, then and then life gets in the way. You know, yeah. that's just it, it. Just it just happens all the time. I've been training jujitsu to give your listeners a little bit of context. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been training jujitsu. I started in the year two thousand with Brazilian jujitsu. It's twenty years so far. And before that, I did Japanese jujitsu for a long time and judo and different martial arts. I started when I was six or seven years old and I just turned 40. So it's a long time. And I've seen a lot of people come and go. Mm-hmm. So that's just inevitable. Whatever, it doesn't even, not even related to jiu-jitsu. All different martial arts, there's always a big turnover. So that's mm-hmm. just part of it. But mm-hmm. it is hard if you build a community, if you actually try to do something different or you build a community and then it's hard, it's just heartbreaking to to see that you can't really do what you're set out to do. And that's just a hard thing. I think that's a hard pill to swallow. But I think everybody knows this. And I think that once the storm clears, people will come back uh, to, uh, people will read it, will come back to this. But um, I think it's, do you guys have a home training set up or anything? Do you have anything? Well, we get Matt set up in um, the living room and then in the hallway. Uh-huh. And uh, the one in the hallway I like for my stretching, but rolling at home isn't very good for me because I have a knee problem. So it, I need like soft, squishy mats to roll on. And the mats we have, they're not like really the puzzle mats, right. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have any equipment to, to do physical training with? Because yeah. I, really, I really recommend, like, for instance, in my, I have a small house, but what I have to set up is I have a pull-up bar in the door, mm-hmm. the door frame, and I have uh, gymnastic rings from suspended from that that I can kind of scoot like a, 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 I can put it to the side and hang it up. And I can, they're always there. So I have gymnastic rings, which means that you can do dips and rows and, uh, and biceps, triceps extensions. And I have pull-up bar to do push-ups or like a pull-ups. And of course, to pull-ups, uh, push-ups and squats. And I have three kettlebells. That's all you need. Right. And go look up some Steve Maxwell stuff. 
and yeah. do some super slow training. And I'm, I just, I'm going to post an isometric strength workout that I've been working on a long time. I was supposed to teach this at the at, at Globetrotters camp in isometric, functional isometric workshop in Estonia, but that camp has been canceled. So I'm just going to probably try and film it myself in a shitty way and, and put it online. I put a teaser on, on my, uh, on my Instagram, uh, isometric training, push-ups, pull-ups, squats, deadlifts. You can do all this stuff with a belt, isometric training. It's so important to get this kind of like strength, basic strength training workout, especially in these kind of weird times because you need somewhere to put that energy, you know? So Plus, uh, I think it's better. You got you to gotta stay healthy for this thing, right, this coronavirus, mm-hmm. because if you don't stay healthy, then it will get you. Right, right. You know? Um, we do have a weight bench downstairs with uh, oh. weights. That's uh, that always comes in handy too. Okay, it's yeah. not collecti- collecting dust. It's they're actually- all collect. They're all collecting <laughs> dust, man. I got ke- we got kettlebells. We got Tim Tams. We got everything, and they all go through periods of dust collection. I really like these. Do you know what these are? Fun. These are for your listeners. These are these wooden uh, uh, Indian clubs. And these were made by a guy in Portugal called Helder Gandra. And he's got this web, uh, Facebook page called uh, Indian Clubs Portugal. And this is handmade. And I use this for this room, like, because my shoulders are jacked up. And I stand in my yard and I swing these things and the neighbors look like I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> it's really good for your, like, for your, uh, like your, um, your, your shoulder mobility, your wrists, everything. These, stu- these things are Beautiful. So yeah. I got one of these. I got these things too. And of course I got them. I got the kettlebells. Nice. And I also made this thing. Uh, these things. This is uh, a mace. Huh. And it's basically, uh, it's concrete in a pot with a stick. And you swing that stuff. Oh, wow. And then it's also for shoulder and mobility. And it also is good to scare the neighbors. Because you're swinging this thing and you look like some sort of person from a, uh, from like uh, what are the what are those games like Conan like, the Barbarian? Yeah, something like this. And I stand and I swing that thing and, and I'm like, holy shit! Daniel's gonna come in and 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 and, and raid our house, right? Yeah. yeah. Don't hey, don't piss Daniel off. All right, exactly. Just let him do his thing. And he and he, had, he might have coronavirus, so he can see <laughs> it's even worse. Hey, have you ever met Steve Maxwell? I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, my friend uh, was here. Uh, is one of our blue belts, and he was one of uh, Steve's uh, private uh, students, or like one of those online uh, uh, coaching students. And he uh, paid for this kind of subscription where get, he basically gets access to Steve, and Steve sends him a bunch of stuff. And um, uh, so, st- but Steve uh, came to our gym to teach a seminar once, and unfortunately, it wasn't on strength and conditioning; it was just on basically like Valetudo's self-defense stuff. Or like the Gracie who's used to self-defense, which I'm not that much into. Um, I see the value of it, but his gold is the strength and conditioning stuff. So I was kind of like, I'm like, I'd rather have him just do a body weight strength and conditioning seminar. But I met him. He's, um, uh, what's a hero, you know? <laughs> uh, everybody, uh, but he's he's a guy that's like, it's he's there for me. He's like, my He's a, he's a guru of mine. He's like, I take that guy very seriously. And he says some kooky stuff about astrology stuff. I, 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 that's, that's okay. 
I, I take that with a grain of salt. I met the man, and he's a, he's a remarkable human being. And this was now he's kind of settled down. I think he's bought a little uh, uh, tiny house in uh, in in the, in the uh, I think in Seattle or something in that that, that side of uh, these states. But I met yeah I met him. He's a he's a remarkable person. He has an energy about him that. I haven't really seen in other people. Like, for instance, he will walk up to you. Like, I, I, I got introduced. Wazir, my friend, introduced me. He's like, this is my, because uh, I'm a black belt, obviously, and, and Wazir is a blue belt. So he kind of introduced, like, this is one of my instructors. And he kind of, and then, I don't know, he just, what Steve does, like, he gives you a, a handshake and he kind of, like, he touches your shoulder and he kind of sees, like, not necessarily, like, it's almost like he's, he's trying to, uh, if you're, um, uh, it's like a, if he he wants to test if the racehorse is strong. You know what I'm saying? Like if you if you're like or like a farmer and your farmer's market, you want to check if the horse is strong. So you kind of shake the horse a little bit. You, <laughs> you pet the mane. And I felt he was doing that. He was kind of like it's like like, but not in a weird way. But he was just seeing like well, what's the constitution of this guy. And uh, I don't know. It, it, but he has a he has a, a liveliness to it. The guy is I think he's like in his sixties right now. Right? He has an energy to him. It's like you meet a little kid. You meet a little kid, and that's something like, wow, if I can get myself to that. So that's like I, I respect those guys, those older guys that have a way of staying young. That is remarkable. And, you know, I like the Mendes brothers as much as anybody. I like, I like the Meows. Much respect to them. But the, the, the Meow brothers are going to be fucking crippled, man. They're, they're not even going to make it to 60. Right, right, and I, and I respect it. I respect the commitment to the art and like the dedication of just the sheer violence they put their bodies on. But that's not for me. I'm a dad. I'm a jujitsu dad. I'm a yoga dad. I but I want to be healthy and fit until the day I die. Mm. And jujitsu is a vehicle for this for me. And and strength and conditioning is is an extension of that. And now like. You can't do jujitsu, so the strength and conditioning becomes the entire game for me right now. So uh, I, I look up to those older guys that that still can do it, and I see I try to see what are they doing to stay fit. How do they? How are they eating? How, what is their mental state? And uh, I do everything wrong all the time in that sense. You know, I make I'm like, but I, that's that's the focus. The focus is not the young guy doing inversions and flipping and, and, and doing jumping this and that and getting folded in half and then eventually winning and still getting wrecked. Okay, I'd rather look at, like, what is Shandhiberio doing? You know, what is Saulo doing? What, is, uh, what are those guys doing? That's, that's interesting to me. That's yeah. interesting to me. Yeah, I'd like to preserve my body for as long as I can. Right. Yeah. Right. Having kids does change things in that sense. Because mm -hmm. it's not only about you anymore, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was on your Instagram page earlier. I was stalking you. <laughs> the Dude, your Instagram page makes me hungry. What do you eat? What do I eat? Yeah. Uh, I try to cook everything myself. And I try to... Uh, uh, I don't really have any specific protocols or anything. I used to be a pretty strict vegetarian for a long time, but I sort of gave it up, and I still, I now I eat organic, uh, uh, organic meat occasionally, but my girlfriend doesn't, and I do the cooking at home, so I basically cook, I eat vegetarian food, and sometimes I make it make myself a steak. But um, yeah, I'm really into fermentation. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask that. What? Uh, what? So kefir and uh, yeah, kefir. 
Kefir. Kefir. So everything, look, everything that is that that has a natural bacterial fermentation process, they say they they say that's healthy for you. I just think it tastes good. It's it, fantastic. I, just, I agree. I love it. It is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. So the things I do, cheats, man. What? Are you, what is, yeah, but what is the thing? Kimchi, like crazy. Kimchi. I make kimchi. I make mm-hmm. kimchi. So, so, so everything that, that that has gone through a fermentation cycle means that there's a, like a bacterial change that that changes the food that makes it better. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of the, the whole pro, probiotic story. There's some there's some debate on whether or not it's, it's actually good for you. I just think it tastes really really good. So what I, what do I do? I make kefir, which is like basically like this uh, bacteria culture that you put into water with sugar, and it ferments in a couple of days, and it becomes a fizzy drink that you drink, uh, and it's good for you and it tastes well. So I do that. I but you don't go all the way to kombucha. I don't do kombucha. Kombucha is too gross for me. <laughs> kombucha, there's a culture and it does look like the alien from right. aliens. I, I'm afraid with that kombucha stuff that if I open the jar, it's going to splatter in my face and, and choke me. And then some chest burster is going to go out of my chest. So kombucha, no. But I don't do that. But I do kvass which is a Russian drink. And there's two variations. It's a beet kvass and a one that you use rye bread. I use, I make both. So there's a fermentation of beets with, with salt and you let it sit in a jar with some water and then you drink that. It's actually very good, very refreshing. And then there's kvass when you make it with rye bread. You roast rye bread and you let it sit in water with some raisins and, and yeast. And it also becomes a fizzy sort of bearish drink so i make that i make uh, sauerkraut i have a sauerkraut fermenting station so i make red uh, cabbage sauerkraut and white cabbage sauerkraut which is great kimchi uh, which is fermented uh, chinese cabbage with a lot of uh, garlic and uh, ginger i make uh, fermented ginger ale i'm going on a tangent here do you mind oh no, it's good uh, i i make uh, i have a, a sourdough starter in my fridge where i make homemade sourdough bread which is 100% rye and i've uh, made this kind of culture and every week i make i bake my own bread so that's another thing i roast my own coffee beans coffee is another fermented product i get green beans from this uh, importer and i roast them i have a roasting machine but i also roast them just in a pan over the uh, fire so i get my own coffee i have a coffee setup and i do uh, like espressos but also like uh, slow drip coffee hipster nonsense <laughs> aeropress and slow drip and uh, kmx and v60 drip station so i do that and uh, that's about it, I guess. Yeah, all these, and I'm, I'm trying to make, uh, uh, what else? I'm also trying to make um, a limoncello, which is uh, Italian uh, after dinner sort of uh, liqueur. I, yeah, I'm thinking about doing that as well. Uh, I haven't made beer yet. That's the only thing. Uh, but I really, I'm really into that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm just a generally a pretty good cook. I had a couple of friends and we came together every two weeks and we had a cooking session where we would actually try to cook at high level and one of the guys was a really skilled cook at like proper level cook so he taught me a lot of stuff so i've been i've been fucking around with that a lot and i think it's there's something very satisfying to be able to actually cook food well and and actually know how to do it and and uh it's very cool to just make de- decent tasting food for your family you know and uh, i don't like to uh 
yeah, I, I, I think I think you should just make everything yourself and eat it. That's okay. it. Everything we're surrounded with here is processed. I don't really fall under that category because um, all through the spring, summer, and fall, actually in through the winter, I work at a farmer's market once a week. So uh-huh. I get tons and tons of vegetables. Um, but everyone else, other than, you know, the selective few – are all pretty much eating processed foods, pre-made foods, you know, easy to cook type things, frozen dinners and so on. I think it's a, it's, I think it's both a physical drain and a mental drain. I think there's something extremely satisfying to be able to do this yourself. And it's, it's going to take some work, but there's a, there, for instance, there's a guy, um, you guys should, should check it out. There's, I think it's, uh, I forgot his name. His first name is Rom. He, he did this uh, initiative called Urban Guerrilla Gardening. And um, he went to South, he's from South Central Los Angeles. And like every other store is either a gun shop or a liquor uh, or a McDonald's or some place where you can get booze. And he started to make communal gardens in South Central Los Angeles. And he, he fought the, the city and actually won. And he's uh, teaching people how to grow do like guerrilla gardening in good climates where you can raise your own, like give communal gardens where like a, a, an entire city block and just grow stuff crops in the, in the urban environment and basically distribute it amongst the community. Mm-hmm. And it's a really beautiful thing. I think we're going to need more of that. I think all this locally, it's, it's very important to get your food as local as possible because now you figure out the supply chains are a mess. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I buy shrimp, from the store that shrimp was raised in a aqua farm in thailand it was freeze there sent to morocco to somebody the people in morocco to peel it and then sent with a plane to to the netherlands where i can buy my pre uh, uh, my pre-skinned shrimp and it's ridiculous all these supply chains are insane he tried to get stuff as local as possible my friend our, our mutual friend nelson puentes uh-huh. you know what he does he goes to a cattle farmer that's an, a, like a, a sustainable cattle farmer in his area, and he buys a cow, or he buys a, a, about a, 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 as much meat as his fridge will carry, and that's the meat that he's going to eat. And he got it from one guy who knows that the one guy doesn't use pesticides or like he doesn't use antibiotics unnecessarily. He hasn't like the the cow had a good life, or you know that's a smart play. So I think it's, there's a huge value in trying to, if you're at all possible, to get these, these stuff, this stuff local. Like the stuff that I get for my bread is from the mill that is 100 meters. It's, I can throw a rock to the mill uh, next to my house where the grains that I used to make my bread were being ground by the mill. I mean, that's hilarious. But that's awesome. It is. Uh, and I think these, these things, and especially where you, you guys, I'm, well, I'm not sure, well, I know in Pennsylvania there's a lot of uh, agriculture, but how is that in New Hampshire? Is that, uh, is that, uh, is that, is that is some, something that you could try to pursue or is that uh, untenable? Yeah, yeah. New Hampshire is similar in that there is a lot of farms and country, but I mean, we have a shorter growing season because mm-hmm. we're, you know, Eric, you know Eric Bydark? For sure, yeah. He always says, he always gives me a hard time because he says we live in the Arctic Circle. Um, but so, yeah, there's there's options. It's laziness, you know. For me, it's just that I'm lazy sometimes, or that I'm busy, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. We live in a pretty forested area too. So for us at our house, we would have to yeah. like cut down trees to get enough sun in our yard. I grow onions and blueberries and uh, sometimes potatoes and um, tomatoes. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much all we can grow at our house. But luckily the farmer's market that um, I work at, I sell my soap there. You know, they have a, an abundance of vegetables. Right, um, right. Uh, so well, we get, and, but they're in Maine, not too far, about 45 minutes away from us. Yeah. There's uh, other people who do little gardens in their yard, but um, nothing too big. You know, they're... Uh, I mean, your mother has a, <clears throat> I would call it a large garden. A, it's a half an hour away, though. It's not That's really true. Close. That's true. But we get a, tr- one, a lot of vegetables. Right, right. Well, I'm not saying that you should tr- so to try and completely be completely self-sustaining. It's not necessarily that you want a unibomber cabin and you just, <laughs> uh, cut yourself off from Maybe the world. Maybe I do. But, but, but yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sounds kind of tempting right now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not quite as smart as a unibomber, but. Right. But, but I'm like, but, but just, just, just uh, there's something to be said of uh, trying to get as much of the stuff as locally as possible, also to support local business, because that's another thing. Walmart is going to be fine. Yeah. They're making Walmart. out. Right. They're, yes. making- they're hiring. They're hiring people yeah. for toilet paper restocks. Amazon, yeah. Amazon's hiring people. But, but, but that, that cool, that cool mom and pop store that you, that cool coffee place that you go to, that's not Starbucks. They're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Like before the before the the lockdown on the cafes, me and my girlfriend we went and had dinner at this awesome restaurant in uh, in Utrecht called Heron, like a Heron bird. Mm-hmm. And people should go there one day once they reopen. But now they're having a really hard time. And this is initiative about people saying, okay, I can buy maybe I can buy a dinner voucher now that I will cash or I will have dinner. Uh, uh, as soon as things uh, 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 get more uh, or kind of even out, but all these little little restaurants, these the the, the big the McDonald's is going to be fine. Walmart is going to be fine. Target will be fine. But the small places, the small uh, cafes, uh, the 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 small uh, mom and pop stores, they're going to suffer really bad. So again, I, I you know especially. Like here, everything is a little bit closer by here. So the distances in the States are vast. You know, people are, are separated a lot more. So even then, uh, try to make an, an, an effort to try to get your stuff locally as much as you can because that community is going to perish if, you're not, if they're not being sustained in this, in this time. You know? Crazy enough, they're actually pretty much already gone. Walmart's already taken over Dang. everything. I mean, it's... You can't really find mom and pop places anymore. It's. Uh, I feel like they are trying to make a comeback, though. Yeah, trying to make bit, a comeback. You know? I think, but they are, they've been eaten up already. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of uh, a thing called the blue zones? Yes. Uh, I mean, this. So I started reading the books a couple a couple months ago about the guy doing the study on the blue zones. Can you explain to people that don't know what the blue zones are, what the blue zones are? No, I think it's all the things we've been talking about, right? And so this guy has studied. Um, he went, I think National Geographic commissioned him to do a study of the longest lived. There's little clusters of groups, and I think they're becoming less and less because as the world becomes homogenous, but like Okinawa, 
um, you know, a couple of Greece, islands in Greece, in, Greece and uh, the Mediterranean, right? Yeah, now. there was an island, Crete, you know, not Crete, but there was an island off Italy. There was an island, maybe it was Crete. Sardinia, maybe was Sardinia, one of them. Yes. There's a little cluster in California of uh, Seventh Day Adventists that that. So these people live their little group, and there was one in Costa Rica, uh, right. Nosara, Costa Rica, maybe. But anyway, these these little groups, they're clusters of people who live long, but they also like live their like good old lives, like not like a complete mess, like yes. uh, you know, yeah. where they have Alzheimer's, and you know, these people like you know were living long. And like living good years in their nineties, yeah. Uh, and I think, I, yeah, I think there's 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 a lot of uh, discussion about it because these people are these these groups are being uh, uh, talked about a lot in this context about healthy living, and I think it's a combination of like they have a very strong communal spirit. That's one of them. So there's community. People aren't dying of diseases of loneliness or isolation, but they are together. Seventh-day Adventists, they have a religious community, and, and, and some of them have a lot more familial, familial, familial bonds. Um, and it's about, I think it's a very diverse diet as well. And I think one of the other things that I think that's in Okinawa, they have the called the 80% rule, which is interesting. So they, oh, eat, yeah. they eat 80% of what they would actually want to eat. So you eat something and you 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 eat a plate but you could eat more but you don't so you kind of like it's a little bit of a caloric restriction and they combine with a very very diet uh a very uh very diet i think they do eat a quite a bit of animal protein but it's combined with a lot of different vegetables so it's just a very very diet but i think the one takeaway for me was there were two takeaways one is the communal aspect which i think I'm still kind of struggling with to how to integrate with my life because especially in the Netherlands, people are so busy all the time. And I think I'm, I'm sure in the States too, mm. you don't you you, you could uh, have a lot more connection with your relatives. I think, I think we are so still, still so isolated in comparison to other cultures and that 80% rule. I think that's very smart. I've been playing around with intermittent fasting also a little bit over the over the years. That's an interesting approach too about limiting your caloric intake. Uh, it's been shown in, in studies with rats that if you underfeed rats, uh, you get two groups of rats. One, you give them all the food they want and the other one you undercut and you give, you give them 80% of what they would actually need. 80% rats live a lot longer than the other ones. They just overfeed and die. So there's something to be said about this caloric restriction, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's an interesting tweaking of your health i guess i don't know so i think too that one of the things that was interesting about that was each the people of those groups all felt like they had a purpose like yes they had, they had and it tied in with community sometimes for sure but it was like they had this purpose right and so it gave them something to live for right right well i mean like that's something that's very that's very important to have and i think i mean like being a parent that's 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 pretty much the number one thing right <laughs> that's uh that that's that's the most important thing because that that is the reason like yeah uh, uh i'm a i'm as selfish as anybody but you know it's like i'll i'll jump in front of a car to save my kid anytime you know right so that's that's a very important to have something to live for like that right and uh yeah 
I guess, in, 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 into a broader sense, to have, a, have, have some people in your life that you're willing to take a bullet for. That's, that's important. That's important. Absolutely. We were just listening to Sebastian Junger. Uh, yes. So he wrote that, yeah, right? There's a great, great book. So we, we were, I, I think the talk last night we had made me revisit because I hadn't read, read it in a long time. But uh, our little talk and Nelson was on it and we had all the whole crew made me rethink about that book last night. And so this morning we listened to the, the two podcasts he did with Joe Rogan and, uh, and he brought up, he was like, not enough people, you know, or the thing that has changed is like, people don't know if they would die. Like, what would you die for? Is there anything that you would die for? And, and I start, so you start thinking about that, you know, and kids are easy. Like, I feel like. Everybody, or not everybody, but most people with kids, obviously, they're like, well, I, I, obviously, I would die for my kid. But, uh, you know, a lot of people back in the day would die for the tribe. Sure. I don't right. think it's that way anymore. Right, right, right. But you have different, you have different, uh, not, not, I don't think it's one tribe anymore. I think you have different alliances. Uh, and that becomes, that be makes this time so, so confusing, I guess. Uh, and especially like the, with the polarization in the States, it's very bizarre to see like people are no longer, a, a lot of people are no longer, uh, you can't really reach them with reason anymore. So like there's one tribe and the other tribe and fuck you and fuck you. Like it, it, it's so bizarre to have this kind of, as an outsider, uh, as somebody who loves the states, right? I live in the states. Uh, I, I have a lot of friends in the states. I'm, uh, but I, I think like, what is going on with this country? Has it always been so strange that no, people are so at each other's throats? It's intense, man. It's intense yeah. times. So bizarre. It like, started when they start the political rivalry. Started all of that, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, but it's very, it's very strange. As an outsider that actually cares, like likes the states, it's very strange to see this. Like, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? There, there's a lot of things I think that we've done right for sure. But we, uh, you know, are by no means perfect. And uh, it's a tough. Like uh, maybe that maybe this thing will bring most people together, and I hope it does. You know, but it, even the virus is is political now. Like it's a you know, it's like. <laughs> Very, it's tough. It's a tough, I have to ignore a lot of that stuff because it just will bring you down, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm friends with people that are like that, for sure. I mean, you, you know. Well, I think that's, that's the one thing that, that brings me hope, though, is that uh, 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 don't think, well, I'm, I'm friends with a remarkable amount of people, ironically enough, through jujitsu that I would probably never meet in any other social setting. And we would, if, if I only, I'm friends with people who are very right wing and I'm people with very, who are very left wing. I'm people who, I'm friends with people who train in my school who live in communes, uh, one side of the spectrum and not people that are just, would be considered to be alt-right-ish or like very strange people, but funny and good human beings, but they're just, they're just in this, um, they're all over the place, but there is a commonality or there is an appeal to reason that I can still have with these people. And I think that's uh, important in these times that, that people are uh, still, can we still agree on certain facts that certain things are just true? And when that is out the window, then it's a very dark time. So this post, this fake news post thing, 
or post-truth era that we might be in, that's the one that scares me. If you can't reach people with any, any sorts of facts whatsoever, then it becomes scary, I guess. Uh, and, but jujitsu, in that sense, is a good common denominator because you can roll with people that you have absolutely no other affi- political affiliation with or whatever, but you went through the fire together and then you still say, okay, well, at least he's a cool guy because I can trust him on the mat. He's not a psychopath on the mat, so we might have that appeal as a human uh, uh, that we can, you know, we can still find that middle ground. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a cleansing thing in that sense to have jujitsu as that kind of like barometer of like where is somebody at mentally. It might be. I mean, I feel like it's one of the last things that, uh, you know, because people have become so stick with their own little crew so much in the, in the sounding board. They only hang out with people that, you know, think the same as them or on Facebook, the algorithm only puts the posts on their thing that reinforce the feelings they already have. But in jujitsu, you're right. I mean, you get to... There are people whose political things I, I definitely don't agree with, you know, and when we roll and, and they are good people. And right. so maybe, you know, it'll, uh, maybe it is one of the last, the last hope, bit of hope, you know. <laughs> and that's being taken away from us. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not going to let it get taken uh, away fully. We're well, doing this. We'll make a big comeback. Yeah. We'll make, make a big make comeback. A stand. Make a stand. Yeah. Well, how, how did you, how did you originally, why did you originally start martial arts when you were six? Did your parents put you in it? No, no, no. I wanted to do karate. I wanted to do, uh, I would juggle Van Damme and uh, Bruce Lee and stuff. So that's, 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 I wanted to do karate, but my mom wouldn't let me because she said karate is an aggressive martial art and it's about hitting people. I can put you in judo. And I said, I don't want to do judo. Why? I want to do karate. It so happens that in uh, judo is a very, very, very well-established tradition in in Holland. It's very deep. And uh, and I had, had, there was a magnificent judo instructor in my little town where I lived. And I went there. Did that for a couple of years, and it was remarkable. But then I, uh, my parents divorced, and I, uh, I got, I was, I turned, I was seven years old, and then I didn't want to train anymore. And then from seven to twelve, I kind of got fat, and uh, I, uh, I didn't want to train, and I got the, well, I mean, like I didn't, not, I'm not sure if I got depressed, but it was just a little kid confused with two divorced parents that you went back and forth, and just not a very happy time. And then I went to what we would call high school, and you guys would probably call middle school. When I was 12 years old, I went from primary school to mid- In Holland, you have primary school, secondary school, and then you go to university or college or whatever. So I went to secondary school. I was 12 years old. New school, new environment. And uh, I knew that the judo school that I used to go to was still in operation, and they had a jiu-jitsu program. And it wasn't Jap- uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but it was Japanese jiu-jitsu but from a judo base. In Holland, it was like this. You had the Judo Federation, the National Judo Federation that is linked to the Olympic Committee. They had a jiu-jitsu branch, and they would do a sort of like self-defense. It, would, it looks a lot like the Gracie jiu-jitsu self-defense stuff. Pretty similar. So not a lot of esoteric kata. It was a lot of pretty straightforward 
headlock escapes and street stuff. And they had a competition style that was kind of very similar to combat sambo in a way that was punching and kicking and throwing and clinching and groundwork. So the whole shebang, but nothing was very refined. But they had that rule set. They would do tournaments in this called jujitsu fighting system. And uh, I heard about a kid in my class went to that school where he did a mix of judo and this Japanese jujitsu, which was kind of like sambo-ish. And I figured, I, I'm just going to ask my mom again if I can do martial arts. And then she said, yes, right away, because she was just happy for me to get to meet new people in my school. So I went. And then I never stopped training, pretty much. So I went there. And I did this jiu-jitsu style within the judo federation. So we did a lot of judo. I have always done judo. I never got a rank in judo. I'm still technically a white belt in judo. Me too. Uh, huh? Me too. I did judo for like six years. Right, right. I never got yeah. a rank. Yeah. But I did. So I did progress through the Japanese jiu-jitsu system. So I got my black belt at 17 or now 18 with the judo with this subset in the judo federation, which means you had to do a certain, a bunch of techniques in front of a judo committee. And they, it was very, so very, my, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a judo guy, but I never got ranked in judo. That's kind of strange. Anyway, so I did that. And then I did, uh, I stopped doing it for a while. And then I heard about this Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I figured out immediately that it was probably something else because they only had four belts. And it was a blue belt and a purple belt and a brown belt and a black belt. It's probably something else. But I read about these articles in this magazine. And I think, okay, it's probably something. They're probably doing something else. But I, I saw some, some pictures. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's an arm lock. That's a choke. It didn't look completely exotic to me. Like, it's not like they're, they're, they were doing Tai Chi or something. Like, okay, they're just grappling. But they're doing something else. And uh, uh, what happened is that eventually uh, I got all my information from magazines. Because you had Grappling Magazine. Remember Grappling Magazine? Have you ever heard of this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's where I got my information. And then the first actually time I saw Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was uh, in the WCC. It was a, a VHS tape I bought with Hensel Gracie beating shit out of Ben Spikers. And ben Spikers was a really respected Dutch judo guy. And he was known to be a mean son of a bitch. He would injure people on purpose in tournaments and not let them, not let go of submissions and break shit. And he would do standing arm locks on people like the Waki Katami, where he would grab the wrist and twist and fall into and break people's stuff, people's arms on purpose. He was a mean son of a bitch. And uh, he had this reputation in the judo circles of being this complete prick. And Hansel Gracie beat the shit out of him. And choked him out and, and stepped on his neck. That was it. At the end, he stepped on his neck. The video, it was kind of over the top. It was a bit much. But everybody, everybody rejoiced in, in the Netherlands. Everybody's like, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> fuck Ben Spikers. Prick <laughs> got, 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 got choked out. So I'm like, okay, okay this was coming to him. This is definitely something else. But then I figured, okay, so what's different about this style of jiu-jitsu than the style of jiu-jitsu that I know? Because I'm a black belt in this stuff, so I, I might, there might be some overlap. And then there was a, a kid, uh, no, Heuler and Hanzo Gracie wrote a book together with, uh, she, with, with the blessing of Sheikh Tachnoun of, uh, of the Abu Dhabi, of Abu Dhabi. This, this sheikh that got a black belt in Brazil jiu-jitsu. And he sponsored this book called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Theory and Technique. I think I got that book. I have it in my shelf right there. Yeah. There's a big, if you, all the Jiu-Jitsu books that I ever produced that are back there. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, 
They wrote a book and John Danaher wrote the intro to the book. And the techniques themselves weren't that interesting. They were kind of like very, your run-of-the-mill self-defense stuff. But John Danaher wrote an intro. They said, okay, what is the idea about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? He explained the positional hierarchy. There are some positions that are better than others. You go through this sequence of moves, try to get to the back or the mount, and you finish. And I just got that framework from reading that framework. I went back to my judo club and immediately started taking the back and passing guard and choking people. And just by that framework, because I already knew jokes and arm locks, I've been doing that, but I, I would just throw people in judo. You throw and you jump on them and you try to strangle them. But there's no idea about positional hierarchy. You just jump into stuff. They're not real guard work either. You just try to blast through. And I started using this positional hierarchy idea from John Danaher, and I started already like, holy shit, I'm on the back, I'm choking people. And all of a sudden, people were saying, like, what, do you, what potion did you drink? <laughs> you know, but the framework uh, put everything into, in, into context. And then my first actual teacher was when I, I lived in, I, I started moving to the States. I, had, I was married to an American woman for a while. And, uh, or I met an American woman and fell in love and we started doing this whole uh, pre or it was internet there was internet then but we just kind of like falling in love over internet and we met in real life in, in the Netherlands and while well, she was backpacking and then we met, I, uh, I visited her and I found that there was a jiu-jitsu place uh, close by and I started training there in Louisville, Kentucky Wow and uh, yeah and I started training there with my friend Mike Yanez who's a uh, at that time, purple belt under George Popovich of ATT, American top team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started training and with two other guys, Kyle and Colin Cannon. And uh, do you know this guy called uh, Nick uh, Chewy? Chewy Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's my tra- old training partner. No uh, way. Yeah, I, be, I, I used to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, uh, I know a guy that trains down there with those guys. He just Dirty CD MMA. But they were, he, I was, he was a little, he was, he was a teenager. I beat the shit out of that kid uh-huh. all that's the time. Funny. You ask him, you ask him. That's funny. But, uh, but so he's from that scene. And uh, basically I started training that with them and I moved back and forth from the, from the Netherlands, back and forth to Louisville and it went on for five years and it was a long story and it ended as it does, as things do end. Uh, <laughs> but I got my blue belt from Mike Giannis, uh, I think 2002. Um, but I started in 2000, and and, and, and me, the, the, my first class was was uh, a private with uh, with Kyle Cannon. Kyle was a purple belt at the time, and uh, he lives in uh, in uh, in Sao Paulo right now. He's a black belt alliance black belt now, I think. But uh, <laughs> I, I came in, I wore my black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu, and I said, yes. he was a purple belt, and I said, look, I don't have a white belt. Is it okay if I wear my black belt to your private class? And he says. Uh, it's okay, son. It's okay, okay. And he just he just broke me in half. And I tried over so many times that it was horrendous. And no mercy, no mercy. Just thirty taps in a minute. Wow. And that's okay. I will take my black belt off right now. And I will. And I went to the Walmart or something or Target. I bought a white belt. And I came back. Okay, now I have a white belt. Now let me let me learn this stuff. So Kyle Cannon. I, I owe him a, gr- a bunch of gratitude because he just broke me in half. And I, yeah. So 2000, I started training. 2002, I got my blue, my blue belt. It's so all Kyle Cannon's in Sao Paulo now? 
Kyle, yeah, 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 yeah. What's he doing? I have no idea. I think he's a language, uh, he's an English language teacher. There's a huge demand for uh, skilled English language teachers, and he's, he's doing that. He's doing that. But um, yeah, so that's, that's how it went on. In 2005, I moved back to Amsterdam, and I started training my current instructor called Marcos Flesche. He's a Carlson Gracie, fifth-degree black belt in that system, and he's given me purple, brown, black, and first degree, and well, there's no training now, but I'm supposed to get my second degree in the in in uh, next month, I guess. But it's just time served because nobody's training, so I don't know if, <laughs> if I'm going to get it. We were, I forget who brought it. I think it might have been Nelson last night. Of uh, or somebody brought up a guy. They were like, we needed a belt for this guy because he's got four stripe blue belt and he's going to get his purple belt whatever day, and it's like right now. So there's no training. So right, like yeah, the yeah. ultimate curse yeah 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 it sucks it sucks but it's just like jiu-jitsu is just like uh it's 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 i've done a bunch of other martial arts i did wing chun and i did capoeira and i did a bunch of other stuff i did a lot of, some muay thai as well which you kind of you should in if you're in from holland you should know a bit of muay thai because everybody asks about muay thai so you should know some <laughs> i know enough not to look completely out of my league or i'd look like i sort of know what i'm doing but it's never really appealed to me that much. Was Ramon Deckers? Ramon, Ramon Deckers. Ramon Deckers. Every other, every great kickboxer you've ever heard of is probably Dutch. If they're not Thai, if they're not, it's, it's ridiculous. And that's the host of Peter Aerts and Ramon Deckers. Right. And, uh, Bas Rutte was also a really, really good. Uh, Bas, Bas Rutten, as you would say. <laughs> is that, say his name? Bas Rutten. <laughs> yes. Rutten. Dutch, <laughs> I, I don't have that. I don't have that capability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's uh, it's a, it's just a very a long martial arts tradition in the state in the, in the Netherlands. So yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, jujitsu never really caught on. It's 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 only been really popular for the maybe the last I don't know maybe last five years. It's been really popular. Before that, it it, it was just for some reason it didn't really catch on we, because we were so proud of their. The Muay Thai tradition and the Judo Federation was so protective of their people that they, they discouraged a lot of um, cross-training. So you had some people that were doing it. Remco Pardue was the first one yeah. in the Netherlands. He fought Hoist yeah. in UFC 2. And he's the pioneer of Dutch Jiu-Jitsu, Remco Pardue. And there was a small group of his students that kind you of... Know I, yeah, I do. I do. Is he like a DJ now or something? Yes, yeah, I thought did, so. Yeah, and he did some. I did a lot of ayahuasca, I think. So uh -huh. he, he went on a mind-expanding trip. Remco Perdue is a is a is a is a brutal guy. He's he's a, but he he had a lot of students. But he's also he's a very cool guy. But he's also a very, I think, somewhat of a difficult person to deal with. So a lot of people went their own way. Or I'm not. I maybe I'm speaking out of place here, but. A lot of people left and they started their own things, but everything started with Remco Pardul. So without Remco Pardul, there wouldn't be jiu-jitsu as we know it in, in the Netherlands. So he's a, he's a legend. He's a legend. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of dudes that spiral sprawled off of that. And I'm kind of the generation after that even more. So like it's been around for a while, but it's been very much an underground thing. So how'd your instructor, where'd he come from? Carlson, Carlson Gracie. Copacabana. Like in Brazil? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's a Brazilian guy. Um, he's the same age and the same uh, age bracket as Mario Sperry 
and uh, Murillo Bustamante. I think Murillo was a little bit higher, and then uh, I think Mario Sperry was actually a little bit, is a little bit younger than Murillo, but he's in the same bracket as, as, uh, as, um, as Mario Sperry. The problem is my instructor was, uh, <coughs> he got brutal, he, he, he what caused him that people stay at their belts for a ridiculous long, a long time. So my instructor was a blue belt for eight years or something. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to progress into the next belt unless everybody that was your senior would also progress. So people would stay. And I, one would could, could say theory, theory uh, being a bit of a sand, being sandbagged because they were just, they were so far superior than anybody there. That's why the, the team was so dominant because people stayed at their belts for a ridiculous long time. And it was the harshest gym in Rio de Janeiro. So they would kill everybody. And people would just always stay at their belts and kill and kill and kill everybody. And you'd have to fight to get on the competition team. So they had in-house tournaments and those were usually harsher than the actual tournaments. So there was a ridiculous pyramid of just talented guys. And my instructor was one of those guys and he competed a lot of blue and purple, but then he got a, like he tore his bicep. He had two hernias and necks or like, so he got wrecked. He's one of the very people that just got shredded because of the competition stuff. And then he became a teacher. So he, did, he didn't really compete a lot after that, I think after Purple Belt and winning a bunch of stuff, I think he won or he medaled in the first Mondials, but he was always also, uh, Mario Sperry was always the guy that, that in his weight category that, that was a lot, uh, chosen to compete. So he was just kind of like always kind of in the shadow of this guy. So not a lot of people know him, but he's a guy, he knows everybody and they visit our gym all the time. Everybody from Carlson's that passes through comes by here. So he's like, he's a very respected dude uh, as a guy who also, he represented the team in many competitions. And then he also became an excellent instructor because he couldn't compete anymore because his body was broken. So he's a big dude. He's, a, he's like a grizzly bear mm-hmm. and he just wrecks people. And he's just pressure passing. Everything is pressure, pressure, pressure. Everything is murder. Everything is death and destruction with the guy. It's, uh, it's surreal, surreal. And a very good instructor too. And he might not know your name, but he knows your game. He knows <laughs> exactly what everybody's like. He's that guy that we used to work on this position, that position. So he's very, I don't know, very esoteric and strange in a lot of ways. But I mean, I love the guy. He's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. We've come across some really awesome uh, Carlson people. Like uh, I, I, we did an interview with a guy, Daniel Vanderlei, on yeah. uh, on a. And and he we we it was like we were for a buddy of ours was fighting in the UFC and he had a guy fighting in the UFC. We interviewed him for this. Right, um, Marcelo Alonso. Yes, um, Marcelo Alonso is actually one of the uh, Carlson because Carlson Senior was a was a um, he was just also a figurehead of the whole team, but he didn't really do a lot of hands-on teaching with everybody in the gym. So he had a lot of kind of like people under him that were you you were good you got assigned to a professor under Carlson <clears throat> that was kind of like your uh, Carlson was a CEO and you have a bunch of people that were just regional directors in the gym you got your own little uh, you got your own dude that was your professor and my for my instructor Marcelo Alonso was my everyday day-to-day professor for my instructor so right. a lot of jiu-jitsu that I got my style of jiu-jitsu is a Marcelo Alonso jiu-jitsu filtered through my teacher to me. So that's my, my, my little news. Marcelo Alonso 
is the most evil, evil person. <laughs> he's he's legitimately scary. Do you know the you know the Muppets or oh, like yeah. uh, there's the Count Dracula in the Muppets. You know the Muppet. The Count, yeah. That's Marcelo Alonso. He's evil. He has this evil grin. He looks like the Count Dracula, and he's like he has his catchphrase like "Who's your daddy?" He's screaming at you and like embarrasses you in front of front of everybody. He chokes you out. He's he's just a miserable. But he's a little guy, you know. Little. We hung we hung out with him. He was but he was super nice. I didn't roll with him, so I don't know the dark side. He didn't roll, but I was his I was his dummy to show the moves on. And it's on YouTube. Uh, if you uh, if you find it someplace, uh, Marcelo Alonso in Amsterdam, and you see him abuse me, and it's just, <laughs> it's just. But he, everything he does is just, it's precision. It's like a surgeon with a scalpel on your neck, and everything is just pain and misery with the guy. But I, there's another Carlson guy that's even worse. So it's like my instructor. Like I have a pressure game, and I'm I'm sort of known to be the pressure pre- pressure jujitsu guy, even though I'm just a hobbyist. Whatever. Who am I? But that's me. So that's my pressure game. Then my instructor is like four times as bad. So that's that's my instructor. But Marcelo Alonso is above that. And then the guy that's on top, that's the, the most insane guy in Carlson's, is Marco Suarez. Have you heard of Marco Suarez? He's in Canada. I don't know. I don't he's, know. A, he, he's a coral belt. Yeah. Marco Suarez is the professor of Stefan Casting. Oh, uh, yeah. The grapple art dude. Yeah. Uh, he's the guy who brought Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to Canada. And Marco Suarez is the most, most sadistic, the craziest. Everything the guy does hurts. If you're his dummy, you're going to be... He can choke. He can put you to sleep. He has a choke from the mount where he puts his hand on your neck and it's like black magic. He just puts the hand on your neck. He grabs your, I don't know what he does. And it's just like, a, it's a Darth Vader. It's this choke with one hand on one side of your neck and you go to sleep. Wow. It's ridiculous. I've never met it. I've never seen anything like this. This guy is, is insane. So there are levels to the evil, the, the evil dark side powers that you can, you can, cultivating jiu-jitsu and marco suarez is above there is above that it's really he's like the sith lord he's he's legitimately frightening in what he can do to people it's i don't know it's just it's so bizarre it's so bizarre i've never met anything like this this is insane anyway so that's my tangent so i really like i really like that i'm from that school because i'm just i'm schmucky the clown when it comes to jiu-jitsu, <laughs> I, I knew some things. I can, I'm a, I can teach a good seminar or whatever. I can, hold, I can roll reasonably okay without completely embarrassing myself. But it's, I'm just a hobbyist, right? I'm just a jiu-jitsu guy. But there, there's levels to this, to the insanity and just the, the dark arts that you can develop. That is just mind, mind-boggling. I don't know. It's funny too that Carlson, like we had a guy, Steve Gilbert, our mm-hmm. buddy. He was he he's old school. He's been a black belt forever. He started in, in L.A. way back in the day and trained with all like Hegan and all those guys, and then and Howder, and then he like, but somehow he ended up with Carlson's people, and then he ended up here in New England, and then he ended up training with us as a you know he's a old he's older than me. He's a little black belt, and he has got the worst pressure. I mean, it's just old school, grindy, miserable pressure. Like rolling with Gilbert is like, and now he lives in Philly. He lives back in Philly, 
and he's training with someone else now, but right. it's like, you know what the role is going to be like when you're rolling with, we call him the combat wombat. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be just like, it's not going to necessarily be fun. It's not going to be a fun role. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's that, 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 that sort of like balance that you're going to strike where uh, I, I, I try to be able to, to, to adapt to whatever the resistance I'm getting, I'm giving back, but I try not to be excessive. Some people, I, I don't want to be, I don't think I'm known to be uh, uh, a, a, an annoying role for people in a sense that I don't try to be excessively violent or strange or like mean or something. But uh, I don't know. There's something to be said where you can, you can really, you can, you can make somebody quit just by positioning alone. I, I something I think there's something poetic about that. I don't necessarily even care about about, about submissions, but just like putting the wrench or putting the, the noose on and just constricting people. There's there's a beauty to that. Breaking breaking their soul with <laughs> pressure. You know? yes. yeah. That I feel like is a is a thing from judo too. Like though if you, yes. people that have trained judo have a different kind of top game than a lot of jujitsu yeah. You know, I mean, my game is based because I started in judo too. And so my, I have good top game, you know, better than I'm bad. It's one of my better things I do maybe is like, I can hold you down for whatever amount of time I need to get the win in a judo match. Right, 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 right. So before this, I, I, I brought this up again last night while bringing it up with you because I know you're super active in this. And, there, you know, right before the coronavirus became a big thing, there was a lot of jujitsu drama with IBJJF versus the Globetrotters. Yep. Um, which was super, which I, I mean, to me at the time, it seemed like the IBJJF was really like, I thought it seemed like a bad move on their part. Um, but pour uh, myself a drink if you don't mind. Yeah, no, you should. Cheers. Um, and I and then you know I know you're pretty active or we're active on the belt checker. Um, still am. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, what yeah. do you? I mean, what do you think about what do you think about the IBJJF and and, and the Globetrotter issue? Okay. Okay. So uh, uh, how can I put, how can I put this? Okay. So uh, the Christian made just concert, uh, uh, made an effort to make Globetrotters into something that is uh, something that uh, look IBJJF is the biggest game in town when it comes to jujitsu gi competition. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to find a way where people can do, do, they don't have to buy into the pyramid scheme that is the jujitsu affiliation model, which it is a pyramid scheme in a lot of ways. You pay an instructor that you probably don't know to come and visit you twice a year for a seminar, for a picture opportunity, puts a belt on you, and then you have some sort of legitimacy with this person that you probably don't know, or in actually you're paying them for, your, for their service. There's some, there is variations of this model. And he, he basically said, okay, well, that's not important. What's important is what you are on the mat, how you, how you train your skills. So this Globetrotter idea was that, okay, I'm going to organize these jiu-jitsu camps. And if people think they are ready for the next belt because they want to compete in IBJJF, I'm going to have a bunch of black belts roll with them and see if there are 
they are at that level and if they're a pretty okay person because it's a social expectation. You're, you're together for a, 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 a week, you hang out, you get a pretty good gist of what somebody's like. If somebody's a jackass, you're going to find out pretty quick. So that was his idea. So like, I, I will offer belt promotions for free or belt evaluations, not promotions, evaluations. I'm going to send six black belts to row with you and if they all six agree, it has to be unanimous, by the way, uh, for the next belt. Then they're going to get the next belt, and I will sign. I will get somebody to sign the paperwork. He has a, he had a couple of people on board that were already third degree black belts, or and they would sign the paperwork under this team, and they could compete IBJJF. But so it's interesting the, that the thing that was irritating him that he was against yeah. is now the thing he's sort of being accused of. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, now they, the IBJJF is spinning it around and saying uh, he is uh, 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 spoiling the art or he's... Uh, the integrity, by, by, right? By giving belts to people he doesn't even know. Well, that's what the Jiu-Jitsu pyramid scheme is, is kind of about. But he doesn't charge for it. Right. Anything. You pay uh, about $200 for a week long of training at a Gulptorta camp. And that's just when you get a five uh, training session with black belts every day, if you want. Nobody can physically do that many training sessions, but it's a, it's very high value for, mel- for money. But he was fucking, excuse my French, I'm, I had a bunch of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was fucking up the monetary side of, of the, 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 the... He was constantly... Uh, fucking with the, the monetary aspect of, of this, uh, this, this, this uh, uh, affiliation scheme. Because, and eventually, they are the largest team. In the, they were registered, the largest amount of athletes registered with the IBJJF. Globetrotters are, right? And they didn't get any of the money. Because normally, if you want to get your belts recognized with the IBJJF, you have to pay them or you have to pay, uh, you get, have to jump through all these hoops to get certified. And also, if you're a black belt and you want to be registered, I got my, my competition card for the IBJJF just to be able to compete, but I broke my shoulder and I haven't competed in IBJJF ever, because, but I did get my, my card, but I didn't want to get the certificate for $400 with the signature of Carlson Gracie Jr. That's going to that's gonna evaluate, that's going to make me a real black belt. Fuck that guy. I never met him. My instructor and all the black belts that went through our gym from Carlson's that have rolled with me, Carlson, Carlson Gracie Jr. Has, has met me, has, has seen me, uh, has trained with me. These people, I, I value their opinion a lot more than some dude I've never met. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> uh, I think they just, uh, and, and, and I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back, I think he was a thorn in the IBJJF side all the time. And he's just living large, man. He lives in the Caribbean and he does these training camps all over the place and he makes a good income, a good living. And he does it. Uh, he provides this service as a kind of a, always, it was always kind of a fuck you to the IBJJF. Like, no, you charge money for Nike. It's going to be free. I'm just going to give it to people. So he was just this, he was a, he was a bee stinging in their ear all the time. And then he came up with belt checker, which is awesome. You guys, everybody that listens to this, go to belt checker.com 
and make your profile and it's a hassle and it's annoying and it's not going to work right away. It's not really that hard though. I mean, I kind of. You have to read the uh, frequently asked questions and go through the motions of actually doing it. And once you do it, then it's fairly easy. But it is a hassle. It takes a bunch of steps. Mm. But it's a community-based verification. It's a social media platform for jujitsu people. That is, uh, and it, it, it works with an upvote, downvote system. So you basically get a bunch of people to say, like, I, I know this guy, I train with him, he's cool, he's real, he's a real person, he, he has real skills. And then you basically get uh, ranking and basically, but it, it's kind of also a joke, but it's not really a joke because it is sort of, sort of like a verification, belt ver- verification thing. And it also, I don't know. It's just something that he just started as a as an experiment to connect the jiu-jitsu scene. It's free also. Now, the downside with or like the 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 thing that I have to say like if something is free then it's then you are the product. You right. you've heard this before. So, I think Christian will probably use it for marketing for his own jiu-jitsu camps or his own jiu-jitsu products, which is fine by me because that's how he makes a living and I think that's uh, I don't know. And, and, and it's also very good for instructors if you, they want to market themselves because you can put all your students in there, you can evaluate them. And, it, and if somebody uh, slips through that kind of has a debatable belt, you can downvote that belt and say, this guy, um, uh, I know for a fact he, he never competed at that belt and, uh, and like uh, uh, he's a fake or like he, he, I, he, didn't, uh, he didn't go through the motions and that, that aspect or whatever. So you can also dispute belts. So he launched that site, Bell Checker, and it got pretty big right away. And, it, and, and I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then IBJF said, look, he's already he's offering these certifications online, online training. Uh, this is not in the spirit of the martial arts. And then, <laughs> and then they, 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 they kicked them, them out. And it's unclear what the status is now. Right now, they are, uh, uh, they are not allowed in IBJF tournaments anymore. But I think they're trying to straighten it out. But I think they just want to, they, they want to grease palm. I think they just want more. Sure. And, uh, and it's very dark. It's very dark. There's a very dark side to jiu-jitsu, which is this pyramid scheme stuff. And this this kind of like, okay, my friend, you and my friend, this and that. But at the same time. As you're getting hung upside down and they're shaking the money out of your, it's coming out of your pockets. Oh, I could, I could, I could say very dark things about this. I'm not going to. Oh, yeah. Gonna, uh, Our I, friend. We got our friend Croiler, who we were talking to last night. The IBJJF won't recognize his belt, and he's Helio's grandson. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. It's, that's, you know, this like, what are you really in for? Well, it means that it's a for-profit organization. Right. And they're going to, and, and it's just, it's become so bizarre. And I know a lot of people that used to be from the Gracie Baja schools, that are now, they, they, they had new policies reinstated with Reshiba and said, okay, I'm out. This is too much. Remco Pardul, the godfather of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the Netherlands, was Gracie Baja. Dracolino gave him his black belt. And then even Remco Pardul said at one point, I'm out. This is too much. This is ridiculous. Because I had a handshake with, 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 uh, with Carson Gracie, uh, or with, uh, with Carlos Gracie Jr. from Gracie Baja. We had a handshake deal. I could use the name Gracie Baja in the Netherlands. And it was a gentleman's agreement. And now you want money? So he said. And then he's like, he's a rude Dutch guy. Like, 
fuck that guy, I'm out. So uh, and I know a lot of people from Gracie Baha, also my friend uh, from Jochem, who used to be Gracie Baha, and he said, no, I'm out. I'm going to start my own team. This is too much. So this, this trying to top down, trying to instate rules about uh, you have to call this guy a professor and there's all this stuff. Look, it's a savage martial art. People, you put on pajamas, you strangle each other. Don't make it into something that's not, you know. The benefits are clear. You get the sense of community. People, it, it, it's a very, it's a fantastic martial art, but it's not, it, we are not summarized, guys. This is not, and, and, and it shouldn't be, look, people should make, be able to make a living. I'm fine with that. That's fine. But to do, to do it just to milk, milk, milk the students. All these crazy stories. I had a friend of mine in the, in the, in the UK who used to be Gracie Baja affiliate, and then they said, okay, you can use uh, whatever geese you want. Just put on a Gracie Baja patch. It's fine. So everybody got their cool geese and whatever. They ca- and then they came in and said, no, we changed the rules. You have to buy. Now you have to buy the Gracie Baja, only the Gracie Baja geese. Everybody just had new geese. They couldn't wear it. They weren't allowed to wear the gi, that particular gi, because they had another gi with another sponsor because they got a sweet deal from that sponsor. Milking, milking, milking. It's just bizarre. So that's the dark side, the darkness of jiu-jitsu that needs to be eliminated. And I think Globetrotters is doing its thing in, 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 in offering something that is, is different than that model. It has its downsides. There are other other issues with that. Obviously, people get together. If people get together in groups of more than two people, it's always going to be something. There's always going to be drama. There's always going to be something. But that financial, obvious financial milking, milking, milking is something that's just, oh, it gets me, it gets me real riled up. Sorry, I had a, a drink. Sorry. We were all, uh, I mean, we were all Gracie Baja, my, prof- our, you know, my professor, my, or Roberto Maya, who's Boston BJJ, who basically brought jiu-jitsu to New England. He was originally Gracie Baja, but now, but for the same reason, you know, they're trying to take every dollar from him. He's no longer Gracie Baja and just Boston BJJ and, and has, and they've made it tough on him for sure. Right. promoted you know what i mean right um i also heard stuff draculino i think he i heard he was the only one that like could be gracie baja still that like doesn't have to play by the rules yeah because he bled for that team you know yeah. i think like it's uh they recognize that but um i i, I don't want to speak out of turn because i just everything i know is just from secondhand people but he a lot of bridges were burned in that organization. And I think it, with Carlson, it's, it's always, it, it was difficult too. Carlson, Carlson Gracie Jesus was, was very, it was, it also split apart. You had BTT, split with BTT and there was a lot of shit that was going on. And now Carlson Gracie Jr., who I like a lot, is one of the, he's a, he's a, he's a real gentleman and he's an awesome dude. And I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm from that school. He's a guy, he's one of the few people that I know that if, if I had dinner with him and he, he's the guy who picks up the check and he doesn't let you pay. So that's like, that's, he's saying something like, he's a, like a legit stand-up dude. And, uh, but he's trying to unite the teams and there. I think also my instructor has this kind of like understanding because he has a written note from Carlson Sr. that Marcos Flesha can use my name and my logo until he dies and it's notarized and he has that. But I think if you want to start a Carlson Gracie affiliate now, you do have to 
pay uh, some sort of, I don't know, some affiliation fee, but it's not ridiculous. It's not a ridiculous fee from what I know. And um, I don't know, it's like people do have to make a living. I understand that. But there is just that, that if it's such an obvious milking, then it's just like, uh, I don't know. It, it just, it takes, it's, it's, it, it gives me some like, a, it gives me a physical repulsion when it's so obvious that it's just cash. And I think with the IBJGF, it was just like, it was so obvious that Globetrotters was just a drain for them. And it's just such an obvious stick in their eye that they couldn't, they couldn't deal with, you know? So, I don't know. We're getting a lot of, you know, even tournaments now, Grappling Industries is, is, is uh-huh. definitely not as big as, as IBJJF, but they're like a pretty large presence sure. in the jiu-jitsu tournament uh, realm now. Sure. Fight to win. Yeah. Um, All these professional venues. And I, I would actually, like I mentioned this on Chris, uh, on the live chat that I did with Chris Obrecht of um, Garden State Jiu-Jitsu. Check out, shout out to my friend Chris. Yeah, shout uh, out because I stole this idea from him too. I saw this and I was like, man, awesome, I got to awesome. do it. Chris is awesome, dude. Um, I think I would like to see more competitions uh, that use the gi, but with different rule sets, just to see what can happen. So I know that Fight the Win did a bunch of judo, modified judo rule tournament, uh, like a single fight tournament, uh, 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 yeah, I don't know, showcase fights, I guess. Uh, but I would like to see a little bit more experimentation in the rules just to offer an outlet for people that want to compete with the gi but don't necessarily want to have that strain go through the hoops of the IBJJF rule set or also the bad refing. But you always, after every competition, you heard people complaining about rules were not enforced or there was favoritism. There was all this nonsense going on in the IBJJF. So I would like to see more tournaments to say, like, let's. What would happen if we do a gi tournament that would allow heel hooks? And oh, just be this. These are the rules. It's going to be a gi tournament with heel hooks. See what happens. It'll be cool to see what techniques would actually prevail, or maybe heel hooks kill everything, or maybe they don't. It would be cool to see if an organization is like, let's do a couple of showcase fights with the gi with heel hooks and. Every sort of leg attack is is is, is allowed. I or, it's a great idea. Right. Absolutely. Or do a do a do a a, a, a tournament where you say, okay, we're gonna do uh, basic gi rules, but we're gonna award four points for a clean throw. Mm. That's it. Only this. See what happens, because I don't really like people sitting on their ass and then starting, like it just there's something that goes like. Uh, that's a cop out for me. Like you, you negated the entire standing aspect. Whereas every wrestling style in the world is a mostly standing wrestling style. You should be able to wrestle on your feet. Come on! And it, America has such a proud tradition of wrestling. It's so ingrained with you, with you people. It's like it's like mm-hmm. spoon fed. Treasure that. So why not give four points for a clean takedown and then allow leg attacks and leg reaps and heel hooks and see how the chips, maybe it's a, it'll be a disaster, but then you'll know after one tournament and you won't do it again, but maybe it's going to be super cool. And I would like to see more tournaments to say like, a, maybe not even a completely a full tournament with just these rules, but have one or two showcase fights to see what would happen if we add heel hooks with the gi. Learn to defend that stuff. People were getting all up in arms about 
50-50 a couple of years back. 50-50 is bullshit. It's going to kill jiu-jitsu. <laughs> People found a way around that 50-50 game. Yeah. Stalling calls and whatever. We, we found a way around it. So I think heel hooks, it's going to be fine. Heel hooks used to be allowed. There's an old footage. If you Google Hillion Gracie, what's that? Oh, oh that, yeah, was some, something on my computer. Who knows? Uh, I email. There's an old footage of one of the Gracie's, Hillion Gracie. Who's that was the IBJJF. They're listening in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hillion Gracie, one of the Gracie, one of the brother of Hoyler. There's a footage of him in a fight in Copacabana, heel hooking a guy in the gi. He wins by foot. It says Hillion Gracie wins by footlock, but it's a heel hook. He's reaping and he's heel hooking the guy. It used to be legal. It used to be legal. My instructor, Marcos Flesha, used to fight in Copacabana in blue and purple belt with heel hooks and leg attacks, completely legal. But people weren't as skilled in them, so they weren't, and they were kind of frowned upon. So people didn't go for it, but it was legal. It was within the rule set. So I'm very curious to see what would happen if you get Gordon Ryan in the gi and said, you can attack the legs now and try and see if he can score. If how if he fights Bushesha, see what happens if you allow heel hooks in the gi. Interesting times. It'd be fun. It, uh, and what you're talking about with the 50-50, you know, I think that's where judo in a lot of ways went wrong because when the guys came in and, and they're hitting doubles on the judo guys, they're like, wow, we got to ban these techniques. You know, we don't want to learn how to defend them, but we're just going to ban them. And that just stagnated judo, you know, so much. And, sure. and yeah. jujitsu, when it's good, it's great because they hopefully don't ban the techniques and you learn how to, mm. how to defeat the 50-50 or whatever it is that you right. don't like. If you don't right. like it, figure it out. Right. There's plenty right. of information out there, too. Like, people, they're giving you a tiny little fee to learn how to defend 50-50. There's uh, three DVDs that I know of that are fantastic. <laughs> Right. And we took a seminar okay. on how to defend 50-50. Marcelo Garcia Marcelo showed us Garcia. how to get out of yeah. 50 right. So, you know, the, it's, the information is there. You know, right. you just have to go out and put a little effort in to find the information and train with someone to how to learn it. Two people, one, you, and one other person. That's all you need to learn how to defend 50 exactly. and heel hooks and all the other leg attacks. Yeah, that's that's something that was I was I was talking about uh, talking about to my friend Jeff Knight. Jeff is a, a black belt, Hanzo Gracie, a John Danaher black belt, and he lives in Portugal. Uh, he's a, he, he uh, he's an he's an American guy, but he lives in Portugal. He's married to an Irish woman, and um, <clears throat> uh, we were talking about like we are in a in a very unprecedented time where there is information overload when it comes to jujitsu. Overload. Every question, and it, it's an arms race. At the, at the highest level, people are just studying all the time and coming up with new stuff. And it's, it's so fast that for the average practitioner, it's almost impossible to keep up with all the innovations. Danaher, John Danaher, how many, the guy was a hermit for, hey. for 15 years. People were dying to get information from him. Exactly. He was known as New, new Zealand John. I met him. I went to Henzo's in 2005. The guy, I met him at Borders uh, uh, in a bookstore. He was sitting on the floor reading a strength and conditioning manual in a rash guard, a sweaty rash guard in New York City. I walked up to him because I read the book, the book that he wrote with with, with Henzo and Hoyler. And I said, 
excuse me, you're John Danaher, right? And he looked up and he had a bolt patch and long hair in front of his face like fucking Gollum. And I, and I said, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm, I'm going to go to your class later at Henzo's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. He said, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, he's probably thinking about killing me because he looked like a complete psychopath. And I went to his class, but it was just like it was any other normal, pe- normal person outside of Jiu-Jitsu would have thought, who is this psychopath in wearing spandex in borders, sitting at the strength and conditioning section of borders, reading a book, sweating, looking like a fucking golem. And this guy would just, <laughs> but he, he turned out to be, he's a fantastic instructor. And it was a magnificent class. And I still remember what he told me, but this guy, and now, but he didn't release any information. Everything was secretive and hidden. And now he's putting out an instructional every week. And it's just, and even just to keep up with that, I can't, I can't even, I can't do it. The mind, the human mind, can absorb so many, inf- so much information. It's ridiculous. You can't even, you can't even digest one of his Instagram posts in a week. It's too much. It'll it's take you much. a month to figure out what he's talking about. It's too one much. Instagram post. It's too much. It's too much. So this is bizarre. So what are your priorities? Well, you have to. Okay. So everything's out there. All the information's out there. So what do you do? Okay. What do I need for me now? So how many times can I train? Well, not that often. Now I can't at all, but normally I'm at least once or twice a week. So what do you focus on? Well, I decided broad spectrum jujitsu. So stuff that doesn't really rely on grips. I can do gi, no gi, even though my academy is completely only gi. I just use no, no gi grips, clinches and headlocks. I do a lot of wrestling because it's good to be able to dictate where the fight takes place. I do leg attacks just to use them to get on top so I can play leg lock games with people, but I don't finish them, but I can, I know how to use the leg locks. Uh, so no, use broad spectrum grips. A lot of stuff that the guys in Estonia are doing, like my friend Jorgen Matsi and my friend Preet Nicholson. Oh, Preet, yeah. That stuff, all the Estonians and also the pioneer of jiu-jitsu in Estonia is, is, um, is Martin Adma. Martin Adma, shout out to Martin Adma, who pressure passing from hell. He's one of the, be- mo- the awesome innovators in European jiu-jitsu. So those guys, they have a broad spectrum game. They can wrestle, they can box, they, they know how to use leg locks. They, they can, what doesn't matter what, what uniform they have on, they can, they can compete. So that's, that's something that I think is, that, that's what I do. So I'm a generalist. I'm not a specialist. I don't have time for warm guard. I really don't. I mean, if somebody gets me in warm guard, I'll tap. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you won. I'm not going to go in, down that rabbit hole. I don't have the energy. I don't have the mental capacity to figure all that stuff out. Uh, the inversions, that's fine. I like my spine. I'm not going to do it. You can just try and pass my guard and see if you can tap me. But I'll probably get out because I know how to protect myself. And I'm ready to concede position. That's fine. I'll get out. Hawking, running man. running man, panda. Yeah. At the same time, you should be able to also be a destroyer of worlds. You should become death, the destroyer of worlds. So just the the, the defense is nice. You should be just a murderous monster. You should be Lord Shiva with knives cutting heads off. You should be able to put yourself out there. So just the defense is good, but you should also be like my friend Aaron Ross from, uh, from Paris uh, Jiu-Jitsu in Japan. It just clocks, chokes, 
<laughs> blocks chokes your head off. And that's uh, just triangle chokes and scissor sweeps you into triangle chokes and arm blocks and just do just kill people. You should be able to be able to kill people as well, mm-hmm. not just play defense. So there's a balance to be found there, I guess. Absolutely. Hours <laughs> on the mat. Yeah, man. So right. you brought up earlier Jean Claude Van Damme. And I yeah. think I think it, you can really tell a lot about a person by their favorite martial arts movie. Sure. Um, what is it? What's the What's the best martial arts movie of all time? American Shaolin. Whoa, that's, that's an obscure one. Yeah, you didn't expect that one, did you? No. 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 American Shaolin. I go so far as that I had the poster of American Shaolin on my wall as a teenager. Wow. American Shaolin is. Is just <laughs> gloriously weird. <laughs> it's about an it's about a guy, an American kid, uh, kind of a douche, and uh, he uh, <laughs> he has a a kung fu teacher, and then he finds out that his kung fu teacher was actually fake. His kung fu teacher would say that he was from the Shaolin Temple, and then he finds out that his kung fu teacher is actually full of shit. He never went to the Shaolin Temple. He was just making it up. But the guy, instead of saying, fuck this guy, he's, uh, he, he's took all my money and he's not even from the Shaolin Temple. He says, okay, master, I will go to the Shaolin Temple. I will become a Shaolin monk. And he goes to China and it's filmed in the Shaolin Temple in China. And he actually becomes a Shaolin um, Temple uh, monk and eventually beats the bully that was a, a jackass to him. And he's become a Buddhist and he becomes with his Shaolin teacher. He goes back to the United States and he finds the bully that used to beat him up and then they fight and he wins. And it's glorious. It's glorious. It's so tacky, and it, but it, it's hilarious. And, and, and I recommend everybody listening to this. So not blood sport because you were expecting blood sport or drunken master probably, right? Bloodsport was a big one last night. Bloodsport was high up on the list. I recommend everybody that's everybody that's a warm-blooded American to watch American Shaolin because it's it's so tacky and it's so fantastic. But it is shot in China in the, the or at least close to the Shaolin Temple with real Chinese actors and one weird American dude that they just got there to. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hilarious. You should check it out. What could be better than? Shaolin, but American Shaolin. <laughs> American Ninja? That yeah. that clearly, American clearly, Ninja. your Shaolin is nothing until it's American Shaolin. Exactly. Exactly. I'm a, I'm a bit tired, guys. Dude, it's, I'm so good to talk to you, man. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. I hope I didn't say anything too embarrassing. <laughs> no, but listen, when, uh, when we all survive this thing, we're going to come to Europe, man, and we're going to stop no, no, by and, no, and hang out. No, no, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I hope to see, catch you guys at one That's of the camps or somewhere on the mat. That was awesome. Heck, heck yeah. Cool. Yeah, Have a good time. All right, brother. So yeah, no Bye. problem. Be, be good. Stay healthy, man. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I just, I got the boost. So. I think you're probably cured already. <laughs> Later, buddy. (laughs) Peace. Thank you.